Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. This is the Saturday Session with Daniel McCarty and Grant Elliott. Kia ora folks, welcome into the show, we're live across SENZ, across New Zealand, across Australia, across the world, welcome aboard, my name is Daniel McCarty, Grant Elliott is alongside me, we roll through to one o'clock, and I've got audio playing off my computer screen because I'm trying to watch uh, live sport, Grant, I promise I will be I will be fully engaged to this broadcast, even though my one of my beloved teams is playing and it's not going well. Well, you said to me at the start of this morning, you said, oh, I'm going to be grumpy for an hour at least. I mean, what a way to start. <laughs> it's like waking up next to the spouse and they go, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm just letting you know I'm going to be grumpy today. Well, it would be nice if they actually communicated. Like that. <laughs> I'm going to be grumpy from now until this time. Well, great. I'll stay clear of you. Problem is you're right next to me. You can't avoid me. But the thing is, is that you support so many teams that will make you grumpy. Yeah, I that, mean, th- that is very true. Name yes. one team besides Liverpool that you support that actually gives you a lot of joy, where you go, where you feel confident that they're going to have a great season. Well, generally the All Blacks have, have done well over the last sort of 15, 20 years, haven't they? Yeah. This probably. year, this year, last year, not the greatest, lots, fair to say. Lots of silverware, though. Yeah, lots of silverware. Your former side gave me great joy. Because I had reasonable expectations. The Firebirds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the New Zealand cricket side, yeah, because I had reasonable expectations. I, I always thought making a semi-finals at a World Cup was pretty good for them. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Always. Okay, the, the slight issue of getting over semi-finals, which I think it took seven to get into a final at World Cups, at, at one-day World Cups, um, and then, you know, obviously now two straight finals. We've only got five finals to lose yeah. before, we, before we get there. Um, now that I think about it, not a whole heap. Not a whole heap. Yeah. Uh, but the Toronto Blue Jays is what I'm um, focusing on now because uh, th- th- this is of great interest to me, probably not to, <laughs> to our listeners this morning, so I'm not sure if this is the best way to start. But um, a new beginning in Major League Baseball, it's the playoffs. It's the start of the playoffs. And uh, uh, my side, the, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays are losing to Seattle. Three, ga- three runs to nil in the first of uh, a three-game series, the wild card. Why do you support them? Uh, family in Toronto. Oh, okay. Family in Canada. Went over there um, when I was 10 for a couple of months and fell completely in love with North American sport. You see, I think that that's how you should support teams. It should be the city you live in or there should be some sort of patriotic yeah, affiliation and, or And once relatives. you support that team, you stick with that team. Stick with them forever. Yeah, so I fell in love with a guy called Michael Jordan the Chicago Bulls in 1990. Mm. Uh, I had a great eight-year run. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been a little bit uh, barren since. But, but also the same with clubs. I think the club that you play for is the club that you stick with. You know, when I came to... Boy, you'd have a tough one on that one, wouldn't you? No, well, because when I came to Wellington, I said, just pick me a good club. I don't know the landscape here. They sent me to Nainai Old Boys Cricket Club, and I've been with Nainai Old nice. Boys Cricket Club ever since. I do like that. I do like that. What about the club in Christchurch? You've forgotten them, haven't you? Yeah, well, I can't play for a Christchurch <laughs> club when I'm in Wellington. What about your club in England? 
Yeah, well, we had a couple of teams there. Yeah, well, I've had a, a couple of clubs. But Come that on, was Daniel. More I'm just trying to make a living. Not being mean to him, Daniel. 0800-150-811 is our number. The text line is double eight double three. What's coming up on the show? Well, plenty, including plenty from you, we do hope. The lines are open. Go on, join us. Join the conversation. This is your best shot uh, this hour because uh, we've got some great guests lined up uh, as the show progresses. It's uh, a big weekend of sport. Uh, Craig Baird's going to join us to talk Bathurst. Um, he only competed in 2021 of them. So he knows one or two things. I uh, can't wait to catch up with him later this hour. Beardo. Uh, Beardo. Is that his nickname? I don't know. You've just given it to him. Let's see. Uh, we've got uh, an amazing athlete joining us after 11 o'clock. Our Saturday session legend this week is Cameron Brown, uh, Mr. Ironman Triathlon. Um, incredible career. 12-time winner of uh, the New Zealand Ironman. Uh, two-time runner-up at the World Ironman in Kona. That's going on in Hawaii this um, well, this weekend, isn't it? I think we had the pro women's race yesterday. I think the men's race... Um, might be in action now. I should probably have done my research. Anyway, Cameron Brown. Uh, tomorrow, thank you, Ben Francis. Ben Francis knows what's going on. And that's a killer as well, Kona. That is yeah. like one of the ultimate Ironmen. He's incredible. He's 50 and he's still got a pro license. He's like to race. You. He's like you. Like, come on. He just keeps going. <laughs> he keeps going and going. But I do it at a pub. He does it around <laughs> track. And David Doan for the Wellington Phoenix. He is the CEO. Uh, we'll talk about... Um, uh, a new beginning. They are home. They are home for a season, not just one game at the end of last season. Incredible couple of years of uh, turmoil, uncertainty, uh, financial difficulty, logistical nightmares. Uh, well, uh, they're at home. Um, their A-League season uh, kicks off tomorrow. Uh, so David Doan from the uh, Wellington Phoenix joins us. It really is a weekend of new beginnings, isn't it, Grant? Is it? How's this? We've got the, a new edition of the Women's Rugby World Cup kicking off later today. Yep. And what a dream lineup! We're only what four hours away from uh, kicking off. And if you're um, the uninitiated, if you're unaware of uh, you know the big contenders out there, you're going to see the three leading sides today, all three of them, uh, in action today. Uh, South Africa up against France. France have um, you know had a good run against New Zealand in recent times. Uh, they're a dangerous side. Uh, the red hot favourites in my mind, England, take on Fiji. Uh, that one kicks off about quarter to five our time, and then it's Australia up against New Zealand. Oh. Why do they always do that to us? What start a trans- with the bang? Tasman, yeah. Yeah, well, we got um, you know lumped in their pool, didn't we? So, uh, women's World Cup, the Breakers returned home finally after their long adventure, a bit like the Wellington Phoenix. Um, the, the New Zealand crickets season kind of started last night in cold October. You were there. I was there, and Spark I tell you Sport. what, I spoke to nine players prior to the start of the the first ball being bowled, and all nine players because I played in both the Bangladesh League and the Pakistan League when I was a mercenary, and um, not one of them did not complain about the weather. <laughs> I was like, hey, Harris, how's it going? He's like, man, it's so cold. <laughs> I need a jumper. Well, most of the TV journalists were just asking how many beanies and have you seen snow before and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> uh, another Bathurst. We've got MPC finals. Um, fair to say our sporting cup hath run over this weekend, doesn't it? Yeah. So how do we slice and dice it? What, what, what's the most important? Cricket. Well, for you it is, because, you know, you're working there. Um, I, I'm heavily invested in the Phoenix. We'll be calling that game here on SCNZ tomorrow alongside David Cho. Um, we know a, a big portion of our fan base will be all into Bathurst. I think uh, I, that, That's a huge day out now for sport, isn't it? Oh, I, I'm very interested with Bathurst, because when I came to New Zealand, rugby league was nothing. You like, didn't know about I it? I didn't really know about it. They played it in South Africa, but it was, you know, you know the, the ugly sort of stepbrother, I guess. Um, of rugby, and then um, the other thing was motorsports. Nothing about it. Now I'm the Formula One specialist. Well, exactly. Obviously. 
uh, within our team, but I don't know much about Bathurst, so I'm looking forward to asking some really strange well, questions. I, I, I freely admit it and have long throughout my broadcasting career, I'm an ignoramus when it comes to, to motorsport. I know they go round and round, they need to go fast, petrol in the car, that type of thing, tyres are important. Uh, I don't know much. Ben Francis, do you know much? You know much? Be, be honest, good morning to you. Good morning. About about Bathurst or motorsport in general? Mm. Well, both. Oh, I, I do keep an eye on it, but I'm not an avid follower. Mm. It, it is a it is a sport where there is a really passionate fan base out there, and I, I'm sure there's lots of listeners out there who have their uh, you know their day out. You know, oh. but, you know, we threatened to do it from one of the listeners' kitchens a few weeks ago. Didn't read. You know, the bosses didn't really. Didn't really get behind that idea, nor have they sent the lie detector test to us either. <laughs> no, um, I think they're a little scared bit of that. Pointing, um, but but do people have rituals out there? Do do you get together with mates? Is it drink you know, is in the garage? You know, do you bring a crate? What 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 do you do? What do you do on your bathurst? Let us know. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. I reckon I reckon it would be like um, going to Kings Park <laughs> in Durban, where it is just a full day session. They bring out their poiki courses and their like courses. portable fries and portable barbecues, gas barbecues, right. outside the ground, and there's just meat and beer, and then they go into the ground, and it basically starts at eight in the morning and ends at you know midnight. Nothing good happens after <laughs> midnight. But I, I thought Bathurst was a weekend sort of thing. I thought you yeah. go there for like yeah. three, four days. Yeah, the tents have been up. Mm. Yeah, the fans will be there in, in, in great numbers. People would have gone there weeks in advance, dug a hole, put their keg in. You know, covered it up. What? Got, got rearing to go. Maybe our listeners would like to ask Beardy a few questions. Well, because they don't have any faith in us asking decent questions. Well, it doesn't sound like we no. know much, but <laughs> I, have, I have read something have you? on what you need to know about Bathurst oh, well, okay. 2022. What do we need to know? Well, there's a few things I picked up, and I'm not too sure if I've got it accurately, yeah. but I didn't realize that they've got someone else in the car with them. Is that true? Do they have a well, they have two driver Okay, so drivers. you know that. Yeah, I do. It's, it's, a long, it's, it's, a lo- it's a long time to drive, mate. So, well, what, to keep them awake or tell them? Well, it's physically quite demanding driving, isn't it? Oh, so at that level. They swap? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought the, the one driver. So why don't they say uh, Van Gisbergen won with Garth Tander? Why does Van Gisbergen just get all the accolades? Well, no, generally both drivers get accolades, don't they? Wow. Okay. You know, yeah. something it it sounds already. like you need to read your article again. Yeah. Things you need to know about Bathurst 2022 or things I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. 0800-150-811. You can join the show. Double eight, double three. In all seriousness, the, the Women's Rugby World Cup. New Zealand are five-time champions of this tournament and are playing at home and are defending champions. Now, if you just listen to that sentence, you think, well, there number you six is coming, right? Yeah. Defending champs, five-times winners, playing at home. Done deal. Done deal. Not the case. Uh, England have skipped ahead uh, in uh, women's rugby over the last uh, five years since the last edition back in uh, 20... Well, I think it was... 2017, uh, they have a fully professional operation and, and they look the business to me. How's this? 25 test matches in a row the English Roses have won. Mm. Uh, that's quite impressive. They begin their campaign against uh, Fiji later today. They've won four consecutive uh, Women's Six Nations titles um, and have not lost since July 2019 and have been top of the world rankings since November 2020. Um, and uh, in this year alone, the Red Roses have uh, scored an average of nine tries per 
test across yeah, seven games. Significant. So, so now that you've heard that, you, you're probably leaning towards uh, England being favourites too, Grant. I, I'd love to know what realistic expectations are for our um, you know, rugby public. You know, what, what are we hoping for? What are we wishing for? And what's the general excitement level for the Women's World Cup? I'm pretty sure. I, I heard Melody Robinson talking on the, uh, the morning show when I was driving into work the other day, and I'm pretty sure she said, Japan and Canada. She was quite impressed with. Mm. Maybe it's the improvement. Canada have a you know decent history in the game. Yeah, so but if, if I'm to give you a top three, uh, England, New Zealand, France. I think England clearly number one. The other two. Mm. What I think is really exciting. Does, does France have a good record against New Zealand. Yeah. Oh well, in, you know, even in the men's game, the French turn it on, don't they? But it, what what excites me, Daniel, is I think that we're going to have female supporters, like young girls mm. watching the sport. And when you think about the past, how few and far between you, you saw sporting events on TV and events like this where the women's game wasn't given anything. So I just think that we're going to have... And <laughs> you're laughing because the texts are coming through. Um, and it's hopefully it's, it's one a, you can read. Beauty. But we're going to have so many... Young female That's sports true. stars that are just going to... I mean, I know already with cricket, you see the amount of yeah. girls watching the game yeah, and they've got their true. blaze caps on at the basin mm. and they've got their white ferns and they're like, who's your favourite player? And they're like, Sophie Devine, Amelia Kerr. And it's just great for them to have uh, heroes that they can look up to and Very look true. at it as a viable option for their future growing up as, as, a, as a livelihood. Well, you're the only one amongst us, uh, you know, being myself and you, who actually played a World Cup on home soil, of course. Uh, I, I can't remember what your expectations were heading into it. You probably felt, you know, maybe getting into the knockout stages was, was the bare minimum. But, you know, pressure or, you know, a help being at home or oh, a bit of both. I tell you what, if, if everyone gets behind you, then it's a real help. Because I felt... I felt that the crowd was like, oh, yeah, we've got a decent team. And then suddenly Kane hit that six over long on when we were nine down to beat Australia at Eden Park. Was that what game was that? Was that second? It was a pool game. I think it was the third, third game. And then all of a sudden, I think people were like, wow, okay, we've got a chance here. So you didn't have the, it's interesting, you didn't really have the nation behind you after game number one. It was, yeah. You had to do something in the tournament yeah. oh, actually, to, to ignite that fan base. To be fair, we beat England by... 2.30 in the afternoon over here in Wellington yeah. first, prior to Australia. It was great. Nothing like working half a day and getting paid for a full day. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. And I, remember, um, I remember the crowd singing. The reason why I remember that is I remember the crowd singing, you're worse than England, when Australia was struggling in the innings, and then suddenly we almost didn't chase it down. Yeah. So once the crowd got behind you, it was a help. Yeah, because... Because there's, surely there must be pressure at playing at home, because you know pundits like myself you know, often go, well, they're playing at home, they'll have a great advantage. Yeah, got I, to, they've got to do well. I think the the reason why I qualify why it helps you is because you'll walk around, you know, the city in Auckland, or you'll be at the airport, and people will come up to you and go, "Good luck, great work." And there's just there's a buzz around the yeah. team, and you can feel that support. Um, the media was great. The media got behind us. It was just everything was positive. Yeah. There was nothing negative that I could think of in the lead up to, um, you know, the finals. Yeah, I'd be really interested to see, you know, just uh, the, the support for the storm. The, the, the only oddity, disappointment, especially for the southern regions of the country, there's no real touch points with all the games in, in the far north uh, and Auckland. Uh, so good luck to the Black Ferns. Good luck to all the sides um, and uh, get them behind uh, our side. Um, but I, I, I'm interested to know what uh, the SCNZ audience thinks of, of New Zealand's chances uh, on 0800 150 811.
Uh, Michael Wright's big day f- uh, to start the Women's World Cup. Three games in Park, 45,000 fans tune up. Hopefully it's turn up too, rather than tuning their guitars or something. And um, uh, unnamed texter, give yourself a massive pat on the back for this little ditty. That's hilarious, Grant. The co-driver is not the wife. He is not in the car keeping him awake. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I don't know. I only know Formula One. I don't know Bathurst. You don't lower yourself below the standards of Formula One. <laughs> no, it's not that. I, I went on a Scott McLaughlin race day. It was unbelievable. McLaughlin? Who's yeah. he? Is he related to Scott McLaughlin? Well, you know, Scott McLaughlin. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how... We pronounce the surname. I just called him Scott Scotty. on the day. Scotto. Scotto. Um, oh, we had a great day yeah. at, um, at uh, what's it, Downs, Hampton Downs. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we got to choose cars out of a hat. You got a oh, M- did you have a burn? McLaren, Aston Martin, Audi, and they had captains in each team. So I was the captain of one of the teams. Then we did a, um, uh, what's it called, where you just, from start to finish, you go 100 meters or like a drag race. Drag race. Yeah. We did a drag race. There was one where Peter Burling was unbelievable at. You had to go through these markers, and if they were green, you went through them, and the next marker was blue. And he had an unbelievable ability, better than anyone in the whole day, to get there quicker than anyone else. Because obviously, with his sailing angles and routes, he was pretty good at that. You're driving a Jaguar there. Right? What a day out, man! I drove the Aston Martin. Oh, um, did and you feel you, like Bond? Well, you had a co-driver next to you keeping you awake. <laughs> but it was you could go as fast as you wanted. It was unbelievable day out. Oh, so, brilliant stuff. Yeah. So well, I, well, let us know how you uh, make the most of Bathurst, your rituals, how you uh, watch, how you take in you know, the hours upon hours of entertainment. Do let us know. You can text us on 8833 or 0800-150-811. The time is 17 minutes after 10 o'clock. We'll take a short break. On the other side, editor-at-large, uh, the sporting news you may have missed out on, but we will talk Bathurst uh, later this hour. Stay with us. Uh, we're going to uh, be joined by a man who um, you know, competed in, what, 2021 of them. Extraordinary. Um, connection to this uh, event, uh, Craig Beard's going to join us. Stay with us. This is the Saturday session on ECNZ. Like this. Do you? You like that? I like this one. You're a big Aerosmith fan? Actually, I that would have been my. You're as skinny as Tyler. That would have been my second album with the cow on it. What was that called? Don't know, mate. So I had Bob Marley Legend, first one, first CD, and then Aerosmith oh, was the second one. Nice. Age 13, I think. I can't even remember what the first album I bought was. It's strange. I should probably it would have been that. ACDC. I no, remember. it would have been like Snaps, I Got the Power or something. <laughs> <laughs> MC Hammer. I, I was a strange individual. Might have been MC Hammer. You know, a strange individual in the early 90s. Double eight, double three. That's our text. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. That is our number. Feel free to join the show at any stage. A massive sporting weekend. How are you slicing and dicing it? Uh, we want to know your sporting ritual when it comes to Bathurst. There, there is a very passionate fan base out there. How do, how do you um, go about uh, consuming that long product? 
And what are reason? What should be our realistic expectations for the Black Ferns at the Women's World Cup, which kicks off at today? Good luck to all the sides. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Carlos from Christchurch is a very interesting text. It's quite long. He writes, "Hello, Daniel. Hello, Grant. Uh, glad you got it in the right order, Carlos. Congratulations." Uh, earlier this year, New Zealand hosted a World Cup. We were ranked in the top four and favoured to make the semi-finals. Media hyped our team with superstars Bates and Devine at the forefront. However, we lost the opening game of the tournament to the West Indies. In short, we choked and underachieved. Let's hope that history doesn't repeat itself when we embark on the Women's Rugby World Cup. What worries me is the similar parallels to what happened back here in March. We hardly mention England and France, who, let's remember, are fully professional. I'd be surprised if the average Kiwi could name three players uh, from each of those teams. Uh, to that last sentence, Carlos, that would not surprise me. Uh, I, I guess that the fact that it's now going to be in our um, thinking and, and mind for the duration of the tournament, hopefully that changes and you get a connection to uh, women's world rugby overall. I, I think that's uh, you know part of these tournaments. You are so right a, a, about the professionalism in the, in the French and English games. We mentioned at the top of the program, and I'll highlight this. You know, since the last World Cup grant um, in 2017, New Zealand have been beaten four times by France and twice by England, um, losing four on the trot, twice to France and twice to England. Um, what last November? Mm. So I, I've certainly got England a, as the favourite. So if New Zealand get through to a final, I think that's p- probably a success. So I'm saying what semi-final is a bare minimum. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's my low bar. That's maybe my expectation. Yeah, I think I think what we need to realise is that I think in women's professional sport now, uh, well, at the introduction of women's in, international sport and professional sport, I think that we are a little bit behind. We're a few years behind mm. cricket and rugby in terms of making the girls professional. Well, semi-professional, isn't it? Exactly. And, you know, even domestically, uh, having conversations around, you know, the women's professional game. It's not professional. It's semi-professional. There's the transitional stage because they still have to hold down a job at the moment at cr- cricket domestic level. Now, I was at that stage when I played cricket here in New Zealand. It was semi-professional. Um, you didn't earn enough money mm. uh, to actually have a make it a, a lifestyle choice, uh, and that happened over a, probably about five years, I guess, uh, where you were you had to go overseas, earn money to play for a club there. I went to Holland for six months, and I would coach and play there to basically sustain it as a lifestyle here in New Zealand. So I think that w- we'll get there eventually, but it's about getting behind women's sports and making sure that, from what I said, is like if we can increase the base and young girls growing up that look up to the players and go, wow, I want to play you know, rugby for New Zealand or cricket. And I think that that's what great, what's great. If our community is playing more sport, we're a stronger community, we're a healthier community, and all of those things like mental and physical well-being, which is such a talking point at the moment, I think this can actually add uh, a real positive angle to that. 26 after 10 o'clock, as you ready yourself for your Sporting Saturday, let's recap the news of the day. We call it Editor-at-Large as we unpack all the sport you may have missed out on during this segment. We may add in our totally unwarranted uh, opinion. Let's go. Good, it's good to have them back. Is it not? The New Zealand Breakers have capped off their long-awaited return to Auckland Spark Arena with their first AMBL win of the season, beating the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. That's got to go into our pantheon of terrible sporting team nicknames. <laughs> the Jack Jumpers. Okay. Uh, having not played at home, forget this, 489 days due to COVID, 
2019 and the pandemic. The team made sure to pay back their loyal supporters, and I hope you got to enjoy it last night. Not only the result, just being back watching live sport. Um, always a great atmosphere, basketball. Don't need to tell Grant now. He's, um, he's completely um, uh, drinking, drinking the Kool-Aid on that. For the record, it was a 71-65 win. Um, not the most high-scoring game. Uh, the Women's World Cup, the Black Ferns will kick off uh, today uh, on home soil against Australia. A very inconsistent Australian side. I think that's fair to say, Grant. Um, I'm dropping all the knowledge on you. Uh, very inconsistent Australia. Australia's never beaten New Zealand. 19 times the Black Ferns have beaten Australia. So you're saying there's a chance. Mm, well, <laughs> that sentence would uh, suggest there is not a chance, but we <laughs> yeah. all know that would be stupid of me to say. Um, let's just hope. You know, all good things come to an end eventually, don't they? Let's just hope it's not today. Um, uh, historic sellout crowd uh, at Eden Park in Auckland. Uh, despite being five-time champions, the current holders as well, it will be the first um, time New Zealand have ever staged the event with 40,000 tickets sold for the fixture. Saturday's triple header will become the largest ever attended women's sporting event in New Zealand. Uh, staying with rugby to the men's game, Auckland have beaten North Harbour in the Battle of the Bridge at Albany uh, to book their spot in the MPC semi-finals. Harry Plummer kicked a penalty goal after the full-time siren to secure a 21 points to 18 win which sees Auckland advance to the semis with uh, Wellington or Hawke's Bay awaiting them. Wellington host Hawke's Bay at Sky Stadium later today. While a big win for, uh, for Auckland season, there's uh, been plenty of concern in their camp around the well-being of prop uh, Angus Daval, who stretched it off the pitch on a mini-cab uh, late in the first half after lying prone for several minutes. We wish him nothing but the best. Um, and lastly, some cricket grant. Uh, the Whitecaps could be without star batter. Daryl Mitchell for the upcoming T20 World Cup. Not could be. They uh, are, oh, well, actually, sorry, I thought you were going to say could, this series. Yeah, um, it's, I'm saying for the World Cup. Mm. Um, after he fractured his right, uh, what, fractured a finger on his right hand, mm. Mitchell will uh, be in a cast for at least two weeks. He's out of this uh, tri-series, uh, which uh, Grant's um, was part of the commentary team last night for. And what, you're jumping on a plane... No, go I, back. No, I go. Back. You're being rested. I'm, you're being rested. I'm on the bench. You're on the bench, but you will be uh, with SENZ during the T20 World Cup. I will do. Awesome. And it was quite funny. The producer said to me, "This was his preamble before telling me that I didn't have many stints yesterday." He said, "Well, I said, oh, where's the roster for today?" He goes, "Well, you've you've come off the bench, which is great." <laughs> and I was like, "Are you just preparing come me for the, hardly any stints?" Come off the bench for the first game of the year. Well, no, because Shane, Shane Bond was uh, meant to be doing it, but he had um, some some issues, so um, I came off the bench. Checking your back. No, <laughs> no knives in there. No, but it was great. See, at, least, at least Ben and I have, have, you know, the good grace to knife you in the front. <laughs> Don't we, Ben? You know? no, but, we, we look him directly in the eyes when we're calling him out. <laughs> You're what, coming off the bench next really? week, right? Oh, I'm always coming off the bench. <laughs> but you know what was, was really strange, I thought? Yeah. So odd. It's the earliest we've ever played cricket in New Zealand, um, international cricket. And um, I think the previous earliest was 21st of October. But it was Pakistan versus Bangladesh. Like, Why was New Zealand not opening up the summer playing Pakistan? I don't understand it. So you would have gone Friday, Sunday. I guess they've gone Saturday, Saturday. Saturday, Sunday, haven't they? Well, yeah, but there wasn't there, there, there wasn't much energy around it because the host side no. weren't there. Uh, meantime, the Black Caps have yet to name Mitchell's replacement for the Tri-Series in their opening game against uh, Pakistan at Hagley. And don't forget, Mitchell Satner is also out. Fraternity uh, leave. Fraternity leave, which, you know, I know there's some strong views in the office around that. 
Um, the old, if it was a World Cup. I threw it out there. If it was a World Cup final, would he play? Yeah, and I did throw it out in the office. I was like, because I think he had a child, and congratulations to, to Mitchell on the birth of his, his child a week ago. So I threw it out to the office, and I said, well, if you were playing for your country, what would you do to the woman and the men? The women were quite strong on it, actually, in the office, and they said, should be playing. And I was quite surprised at that. But, um, yeah, well, I guess... We have to celebrate paternity leave now. Well, men, it's obviously men had no value with the young baby. What? <laughs> Get back to work. You're annoying me. <laughs> it's, it's hard enough with this uh, child. Uh, who would replace him at a World Cup? Oh, it's Sodi because you'd have... No, he's in the squad, though. Yeah, he's in the squad. If he doesn't make the World Cup squad, who would come in? If Mitch Satner didn't make it. No, no. no Daryl Mitchell. Mitchell. Oh, Mitchell. We were talking about this uh, yesterday, and... We don't have a lot of time. The one I was thinking of was bring back Colin de home from retirement, but <laughs> it would probably be Dane Cleaver because you just choose a better. Daryl Mitchell doesn't <sighs> bowl much. It would probably be Dane Cleaver, I think. He had a relatively successful A tour to India. CDG, bring him back. All is forgiven. It is uh, 28 minutes away from 11 back after this to talk Bathurst. Craig Beard's joining us. 24 minutes away from 11 o'clock. I'm grumpier, Grant. I'm oh, grumpier. No. Yeah, Seattle's got another run. Four runs to nil over Toronto. And I won't bore you with my love of baseball. Let's talk about events that Australasians love and adore. And we are delighted to welcome a man who has, what, two decades of experience at competing at this event. I'm talking about Bathurst. The Bathurst won 1,000 tomorrow. Uh, Craig Beard joins us. Craig, thanks so much for giving up some of your time. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Yourself? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we are, we are really good. We are really good. Mate, you have got such a long sort of association with this event. What, what does it mean to you personally, Bathurst? Oh, look, Bathurst is, you know, we all know it. I'm just repeating what everyone else says. It's uh, we grow up grow up in New Zealand with a Bathurst day. I remember sitting in the garage with Dad, watching, having a beer and uh, watching it. You know, all his mates had come around. It's, uh, it's, it's our grand final in our uh, industry in Australia. What, what were the rules in the garage? Were you allowed to talk to Dad? Did you have to have to give Dad the beers? Did you sneak some beers think, off Dad? Dad willing to give th- them I, to I you? I think um, I wasn't drinking at that time, but uh, I, pretty much they locked the girls out in those days. They're not allowed to anymore. <laughs> I, I, I remember watching sport with my father. No one was allowed to talk. No one was <laughs> allowed to talk, and he was a gentle giant. But any time the phone rang too, he'd answer the phone in the most aggressive manner. What? Uh, it's like, yeah, what? It's, it's going to be a no, with conversation. It, <laughs> it is. Some people should be lucky. Should be lucky that the phone was actually answered. But but those memories are, are, are pretty vivid. So you know, then to migrate into actually competing at it, that's quite something, isn't it, Craig? Yeah, it is. You know, and I think you see some of the young guys like Matt Payne that's going to have their first. Uh, first run up here at the mountain in the in the main game and um you know it's probably a pretty emotional moment the first time you hit the mountain um it's easier in some ways for the young guys now because they actually know where they're going to go because they get on simulators and 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 run programs and actually know where it goes i remember the first time i got here uh driving with brett riley in a bmw and i just drove out of the pit lane basically not having ever done a in no, as I say, no simulation laps or anything, and you just go, oh my God, where am I going? And where <laughs> do I want to place the car? And you just wombled across the top of the hill, 
and what you've got to remember is everyone else coming out of the, the pit lane behind you, the, the Peter Brocks, the Larry Perkins, um, they just thundered down on you <laughs> like a box of hammers. And, yeah, it was, uh, it was a pretty scary moment, to be honest. Craig, uh, Grant Elliott here. Great to have you on the, the show. Uh, first of all, did you have a nickname? I've been searching it on Google. You must have had a nickname. Is there nicknames in motorsport? No, I didn't. Everyone just called me Beardo. So Beardo. I was lucky. I, I could have had some bloody horrible nicknames, but I, uh, <laughs> I with, uh, with, with Beardo, I was, I've always been fairly aggressive, so that they, um, they didn't call me too many bad names. I have been called <laughs> bad names, but not a nickname. Right. <laughs> Well, well, Craig, we are, and we've freely admitted this at the top of the program, we are both um, ignoramuses when it comes to the sport, this event. Um, so, you know, Grant Elliott's done his very best to, to, to figure out, you know, the, all the things you need to know. I do have a lot of questions for you, Craig. And my first one, after uh, finding an article with all you need to know about Bathurst, obviously coming from South Africa, I'm not that well-versed on Bathurst, but I do know there's a huge build-up in New Zealand for the weekend. I know a lot of people travel over for it. Um, and it's held in pretty high regard. Um, so speaking to royalty here, one of the things that surprised me was a co-driver. I didn't really think there was a co-driver. Explain how that works. Explain how they choose the co-driver and how important is it that that co-driver needs to be of decent value to win the race? Well, how it works is obviously you need two drivers to get through a six-hour period or, or ballpark, six, or call it 161 laps. Um, probably the most important part of winning Bathurst is having a good co-driver, good wingman. So when you take mm. someone like a Shane Van Gisbergen, who's at the top of his game, mm. if he was to have an average co-driver, he could do everything he can do to lead laps and that, but they can fall off the pace with a bad co-driver. So mm. having someone like a Garth Tander uh, to back him up, who's just as quick as Shane on a single lap. Like, he is still a very, very good racer um, and should be in the main game and could still win races and championships and Bathurst in the main game. Um, that's a pretty good way to start Bathurst with two blokes like that. Now, if Shane was to take someone that had never been here, a rookie, someone that's learning a bit, can make mistakes, doesn't have the confidence, doesn't know the other competitors the chances of winning Bathurst is zero. So your co-driver is just such an important component. Now, you've got the best co-drivers in the business, really, are the guys, the Fabian Coulthards, the Garth Tanders, the Michael Caruso's, the guys that have just stepped out of the main game championship. Lee Holdsworth last year won the race with Chaz Mostert. That was his first year sitting on the benches. Got one of the better co-drivers and won the race. So it kind of shows just how important. So you've got that. That's the first guys you go hunting for, the guys that have just stopped, stopped racing full-time in the championship. Then there's the full-time co-driver-style team that are still racing other categories, the Dave Russells, the Warren Luffs, those style of people. Uh, they're the second tier that you try and get because they're, they're, they're solid racers. They've raced Bathurst many years, and they're almost professional co-drivers. But are they as quick on a single lap as Garth Tander that's only just sort of retired, or not retired, but got out of main game? Probably not, but a really solid option. Then you've got the left field ones, the guys like Matt Campbell, 
um, factory Porsche driver, but it's a bit risky. Comes out of European GT, IMSA in America, sports cars, really nice cars to drive, fast, a lot of electronics, ABS, traction control. And then you hop in our brutal things that are just going back in time, big horsepower, low grip, really. Um, fantastic drivers, but are they at the peak of their game in a supercar? Probably not, but will deliver a very solid job. So there's a whole different sort of tier of co-drivers, all really, really good drivers. But if I could grab Lewis Hamilton and put him out here today, um, and probably arguably the best driver in, it, it, we've ever seen, he wouldn't even qualify on the back row of the grid. You know what I mean? It would be That's that amazing. difficult a task for him until yeah. he got miles in these cars. Yeah, nose, nose ring or not, he'd struggle. <laughs> the the he other thing, Craig, we've that's... Had IndyCar, we've had guys from IndyCar here that have won the Indy 500. We've had ex-Formula 1 drivers. And all of those people, all of those people have struggled, have struggled to get up to speed in a supercar. So um, life's... It's, it's no different than me sending one of our guys into a Formula 1 event for the weekend. Very, very big ask. Oh, so, some great insight there, Craig uh, Orbedo. Um, as I will be calling you uh, during this interview. Um, one of the emotional sides and one of the things that I picked up arriving to New Zealand, Holden versus Ford. You're either a Holden fan or a Ford yes. fan. Um, that's a huge part of it, but pretty emotional because it's the final year that Holden will be competing as a manufacturer. Yeah, it, it, it is. An, it, you know, it, there's no doubting that's that's... It's it's sad, but at the end of the day, there's a new era coming with the with yeah. the with the Camaro, with the Camaro and the, the the Mustang. It's almost the full circle. We're going back to you know the Moffat in a in a Mustang style era. You know, so there's exciting times ahead. I think the racing will even get better with the Gen Three car. But yeah, Holden's such a big part of it. And as you say, this it's fifty fifty up here. You either bleed red or you bleed blue. And there's no no crossover. There's no middle ground. Um, The only middle ground you'll find, it certainly won't be up the top of the hill in the mud. It might be in corporate hospitality where you've got a guy, you know, that that a business owner that's more European-based or whatever. They come for the race. They don't just follow one brand. But the true supercar, Australian touring car-style fan He's one or the other. The headlines are, are quite telling. Mayhem on the mountain. Weather carnage at Bathurst. The weather's going to play a big factor. Right, and we, we, can't, we can't guarantee what it's going to be like come race time, but Craig, having, having all the experience you have uh, on that track, if, if it is very, very wet, how much does that change things? Well, it does a lot, but also I'm in race control, so... I've been out there. I was actually out there um, till late last night um, working with the with Bathurst City Council trying to just redirect some water. We had some sort of issues yesterday yeah. that well, I hadn't seen in the past. So some of the, you know, just, just the lay of the land changes and, and the way they mow and grade and we had to open up some little channels just to try and redirect water. So we've done quite a bit of work overnight. It's a big job for me and race control to, to cause yeah. it really comes back down to to me, whether I go, our conditions, can we carry on or do we have to pull the pin? Um, 
look, these guys are fighter pilots. They'll keep pushing on, but there's always a point with torrential rain where on a, on a mountain where things can just get a little bit too dangerous. And in the modern era, um, driver safety is a priority of anything. So we'll driver safety, marshal safety. We've got to be able to, it's a small thing. Like yesterday, we had to safety mm-hmm. car the Super 2 race because yeah. the marshals across the top of the hill couldn't see point to point. If one marshal's post can't see another marshal's post, they can't communicate, um, we have to safety car or suspend the race. Yeah. So so many elements may come into it. Um, yep, these boys will all drive it in the wet, no drama at all. Um, and whether you're a co-driver or, or main game driver, they, they, they will do that and, and do that well. But there's so many other elements, as I say, that come into it that's outside our control um, that we have to abide by. Yeah, you might have a big weekend ahead. You might have some big decisions on your hand. Um, hopefully, I, mean, um, I, I hate to yeah. rush this interview, but I've got a Super 2 qualifier yeah, go. to start in three minutes. Um, go. So I'm going to have to wrap up. No, it was perfect timing, Craig, because I was literally about to wrap up. You're a superstar, Craig. Thank you so much for dropping by. I know you've got a huge weekend ahead. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Craig. Cheers, guys. Thank you. That's the very latest bully from, uh, you know, race control. Craig Beater has got a long association having uh, driven in, I think, 21 Bathursts. Yeah. I told you it was going to be better. <laughs> you were right. You were right. Yeah. Are but... you holding or forward? Yeah. You and I can't be either. We're, we're not. We, I, we don't know, man. I've never had... But a... Ben France is more likely to be one, isn't I've... he? He's more likely to be holding or forward. He's holding. He looks like a holder man, does he? Yeah. And what's the stereotypical Holden man look like, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Be very careful how you answer this. <laughs> the text line will light up. I love the jokes between Holden and Ford fans. Yeah. Um, Ford fans, Holden fans, I want your best joke about the opposition. Team Blue, I want your best shot about Team Red on double eight, double three. And conversely so. I've over- There'll be some great jokes about our crap Ford cars or you know, holding cars are crap, drivers are like this, blah, blah, blah. Send them through. I want, to, I want our best Bathurst jokes, double eight, double three. Well, I've owned a Ford Focus before. So, so that you're team I have Ford. to be a F- team Ford, but also I like the fact that it's the final year of the Holden. So You can't be both. They must, they must be loving the fact that Ford fans must be loving the fact that it's the last year of Holden. You can't be both, Grant. No, I'm not. I'm not both. I'm Ford. You're team Ford? I'm Ford. Beautiful stuff. Ten minutes away from 11 o'clock. Craig Beard uh, joining us. Out of race control, giving you the very latest. Um, yeah, weather does not look good. Uh, we hope that, you know, the Bathurst weather, God's play its part, clear uh, clear the air, and we get uh, some uh, unimpeded uh, racing. Uh, enjoy that uh, great event. Back after this break, it's 10 away from 11. Keep your messages rolling into double eight double three. We love hearing from you here on SENZ, uh, including this one from Brendan Rides. Morning, gents. I'm not a Holden or a Ford fan, therefore it doesn't bother me which factory actually wins the great race. All I want is a Kiwi to win. Go, SVG. Cheers. Thank you very much, uh, Brendan. Craig writes, uh, saw Blackfins thrashed by France twice, then England last year in Europe. Hopefully Smithy has worked his magic. Go, NZ. Uh, Craig uh, writes that one, yes. Bit of a throwback when you see Wayne Smith, Graham Henry, Mike Cron, all involved in another World Cup. Mm. No, it's not 2011. It's 2022. Uh, what's coming up in the next hour? Because uh, we'll head off to a break. That is uh, the first hour done and dusted well. Between 11 and 12, the big feature is our Saturday session legend for the week. Uh, Cameron Brown, legendary athlete. Um, Cameron Brown, Ironman extraordinaire, incredible career one of longevity and success. 
uh, he will uh, be our, our big feature. And uh, we'll also maybe uh, get to our, um, you know, Midas Hard Yards Award, who's been doing hard yards and not so hard yards as far as sport is concerned. Stay with us, plenty to come. What's wrong with Tom? By anyone. Well, you're not fat. You're not fat of it, but you're singing it. Oh, uh, I just it didn't feel like a Saturday sesh oh. song. Shots fired. I'm all for it, Ben Francis. I'm with you, mate. I like I like it, but I just I don't know. Sometimes I get a feel for it, and sometimes I don't. So I'm just being honest. Yeah. You what? guys are always pretty honest with my feedback. <laughs> yeah, that is so fair. I think that's maybe fair. you're rubbing off on me, and I'm being completely honest with how I Good feel boy. about. So, no, Sorry, no one should be afraid of. So no one should be afraid of honesty. Yeah. Truth is never as bad as people think it is. Well, Ben it's was really be insulted when I said I think that his hairstyle would go down well at Bathurst. Yeah, you did say off air what he looks like. And it wasn't a negative or a no, He looked like a Holden fan, I think is what you said. You, 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 left out, you left out the one key detail you said off air, which is more the, more the reason why I was offended. What, the singlet? Yes, the yeah, singlet. White singlet. Yeah, the singlet. Or the white singlet. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah or hot. black. Hot. White or black? No, it was, yeah, it was uh, more the terminology you used to describe the singlet, but I don't know if we'll say that on air. <laughs> well, you get, well, if it was 2003, we could happily say it, but we can't these days. Someone will get offended. Um, someone's very intrigued, though, by your call earlier. Um, via text, surprised by the Ford call by Grant. What sort of car does he drive currently? No, it's just a little... Just a Maserati, mate. No, it's not. Bentley. <laughs> isn't it? It's just a... It's a little high, a push bike, isn't it? A Hyundai i30, just a little, you know, run around. Run around, yeah. Just a humble car for a humble man. Humble car. It's got some racy. Um, yeah. I don't know about the um, what are they called? The straps, seat belt, the red, racy red. Don't know if that's me, but anyway. No, not a not a fan of the seat belts. Yeah. I don't really care what my seat belt looks like as long as it does the job. <laughs> as long as it works. Does, yeah. does it does the, the job. Uh, yes, so um, not a Ford, not a Holden, but he's a Ford man for the sake of this weekend anyway. Well, I drove a Ford Focus for many years. Loved it. Very <laughs> big, trustworthy big, vehicle. Big fan. <laughs> it was a workhorse, that car, wasn't it? It was. Yes, let's get to our Midas Tyres Workhorse of the Week. How's that for a segue? Who, um, who or what team has been the hardest worker this week? Who has been toiling the land and bringing out the best of... Who we are as sports fans, or not, all in association with Midas, Midas Agritires, the choice of leading manufacturers, Midas Agritires, European quality, made affordable. I'll give you my nominations this week, Grant. We'll do it after 12 o'clock. You can get your nominations through to 8833. We would love to hear from you. Who has been the standout throughout the week, the workhorse of the week in association with Midas Tires? Uh, Midas Tires. I'll go with my non-nominations. It, these I are lo- people who basically done nothing. I love your non-nominations. <laughs> I've got two non-nominations this week, actually. Uh, big shout-out to C- Crew Alexander, who head into their game against Carlisle on the back foot after their top goal scorer injured himself while playing Xbox. No. Yes. How do you injure yourself playing Xbox? I don't know, but uh, Courtney Baker-Richardson has been ruled out after suffering a hip muscle problem. <laughs> From what? Xbox? Playing Xbox. That's impossible. Um. The crew manager, Alex uh, Morris, said uh, it's an area of his body he's had issues before. There's nothing we can do about it. Or you could stop playing Xbox. Well, yeah. (laughs) Do you know what? His teammates are going to be absolutely livid with him because what happens is is if you get an injury playing golf or, you know, 
football before a cricket game or something. The yeah. coach goes, right, that's it. No more golf. <laughs> exactly. The guys are getting injured. <laughs> no now the coach Xbox. is going to go, right, no more Xbox. Xbox. Anyone, Xbox, 48 hours before the game. I'm not having it. Yeah. And no sex too. Why? Because I'm grumpy. Oh, that was a thing. Yeah, that was a thing. With India, wasn't it? I oh, know a lot of sporting teams have tried that. You know, Italian football's got many, many a story along those lines. I'm going to go to angling now from my non-nomination. Two Ohio anglers were caught <laughs> dramatically cheating at a fishing competition and reportedly, prior to this, pocketed tens of thousands of dollars of prizes at other competitions. Now, fishing, uh, fishing aficionados in Cleveland have cast out on the previous victories of Jake... Runyan and his partner Chase Kaminsky. How American is that? Chase, Chase Kaminsky. They're definitely after their cheating. <laughs> yeah, they are. After their cheating scandal broke out at the Lake Erie Walleye Trail Tournament. Now, I'm sure many of you have seen the video going around. It has emerged. I've seen it. That they'd uh, what stuffed, you know, weights um, uh, inside their willing walleyes and, and a lot of their fish. The the video going around um, Twitter. Um, where they were confronted, it's heated, fair to say, Grant. Very we heated. We can't play the audio because this is a family show. The video has now had nearly 13 million views. It's quite extraordinary. But I do love this. This is from an, an interview they gave to The Hill a few weeks ago um, about their lucky streak. Um, uh, we've won three loot tournaments in a row, Lorraine, uh, Estabula, and Geneva. I don't want to sound arrogant or cocky, but I'm confident that we should do well this championship. <laughs> also because it's just what we do. Winners win. And winners Mr. Throw. Runyon told the hill. Well, cheaters cheat, brother. Cheaters cheat. No wonder he was confident. He knew it, he was cheating. So from the video that I saw, it wasn't only weights that they put into the fish, and it was yeah. like these heavy marble weights. They look really yeah. heavy. Um, they also stuffed fish fillets in there, down the obviously the a mouth. fish inside a fish. Yeah, so there was little pieces just to add extra weight to it. That's so that's absolutely next true. level. But my actual nomination this week now, Grant. Um, this is you know this is me you know talking myself up here. A few weeks ago, I told you Erling Haaland would score sixty goals this season, and you guys poo pooed me. You're very rarely you, wrong. You poo pooed me. <laughs> well, the Manchester City striker who scored a hat trick last week in his third straight hat trick at home in the English Premier League. Two goals against Copenhagen in the uh, Champions League with uh, Marcus Dominic, uh, the, the Wellington boy in uh, all-white on, on the other side of the, of the coin, means he now has 19 goals in 12 games this year. He is on pace in the Premier League alone because he's got 14 goals in eight games in the Premier League. He's on track to score 67 goals in the Premier League. It's the pace he's at. Only four teams scored more than 67 goals last season. It's quite amazing. Um... Haaland is just nine goals away from last season's Premier League top scorers, Mohamed Salah and Sunderman already, who bagged 23 last season. Uh, quite incredible. Now, but how's this? He's got three uh, hat-tricks. The, the fastest player to three hat-tricks in Premier League history was Michael Owen, who took 48 games to achieve the feat. Haaland took eight. This guy is a beast. Um, and, and I'm not. I don't think I'm being hyperbolic when I say he's a John Lomu esque type figure. He is so big. He is so powerful. He is so fast. You've watched all his goals. He knows where to be. He is a frightening proposition. He also plays for a very, very good team, so he's getting lots of chances. So uh, that's my nomination for the guy putting in the hard yards um, inside the six yard box. He's Incredible a goal scoring record. Single man wrecking ball. He really is. Uh, <laughs> 
But I think watching those goals, I have to say, when we watched them, I said one thing. You, you mentioned it now. He's in an extremely good team, so he is getting good ball. But a lot of those goals, he was in that, what do you call it, the six-yard six yard box. box. Um, he but knows he was in be. the right place at the right time, yeah. and he's physical. He's he a throws people to the ground. Man. Yeah. He really is. He's quite frightening. So uh, we'll continue to follow uh, his progression. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to adjust my number. I'll stick with 60. Okay. I'm a firm believer. 60. Incredible stuff. Eight minutes after 11 o'clock, our uh, Saturday session legends uh, will be with us. Get your own nominations through for our, our workhorse of the week. Who's impressed you on the sporting fields around uh, New Zealand, around the globe? Um, uh, that is an association with Midas Agra Tyres. Uh, we will be back, though, with our Saturday session legend. We can't wait to welcome in Cameron Brown to the show. Did you just ask me who's this? Well, that's quite ironic, Grant. I'm waiting for the words. <laughs> Absolute classic. Where are the words? Sing <laughs> to you. I can't enjoy music if there's not words. Don't worry. Roger Daltrey's about to bash out bats. Classic. Absolute banger, Grant. 30 minutes after 11 o'clock, this is the Saturday session. He's Grant Elliott. I'm Daniel McCarty. Ben Francis is our producer extraordinaire. It is time for one of our favourite segments each and every Saturday where we get to, uh, you know, just um, speak to absolutely legendary New Zealand athletes, coaches, administrators, and uh, sort of uh, drop our jaw at uh, their amazing careers. It is our Saturday session legend segment in association with Somerset. I think legendary care thinks Somerset Retirement Villages. Uh, no retirement for this like I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, 50 years, the only, the only man was still with a professional pro license in his chosen sport. That, that, that's mind-boggling, especially when you consider professional sport, triathlete, Ironman extraordinaire. Only a, a 12-time New Zealand Ironman champion around uh, Topo. Uh, two-time runner-up at the uh, iconic Kona event. And, of course, Kona's going on at the moment. Uh, Grant, I, I'm sure you'll uh, mention that a little bit later. I know you want to highlight someone in particular now uh, in another segment. But we are thrilled to welcome into the program Mr. Cameron Brown. Yes, uh, he joins the show. Cameron, thanks so much for joining us. Do we find you well? Yes, yeah, yeah. No, I'm all good. Uh, just, uh, just down in Christchurch at the moment. So, uh, yeah, enjoying the sunshine down here. Let me guess, you've been out for a ride or a swim or a run this morning. You've already done more than most. Uh, yep, yep. No, just a... Uh, just, uh, like training down here at the moment, just trying to get some uh, fitness back. I've had a five-week break, so um, needed it after a long um, international season. So looking forward to trying to regain that fitness again. Cameron, it's great having you on the show here uh, today. Thank you so much for your time. I come from uh, uh, someone in our family who uh, is a real uh, triathlete. You might know him, Dr. Dan Plews, who has been on the show, and I know he has competed in Kona. But tell me about... The triathlon is sports. It's it's a bit of a drug, isn't it? You wake up in the morning and you feel like you have to do something because there's so much to do. Um, how well planned yeah. out are your weeks and, and how obsessed are you with the sport? Uh, yeah, I think I'm probably a little bit obsessed because I've been doing it for over 35 years now. And, uh, uh, but, yeah, it's just a, a love and passion for you know keeping fit. And, and um, you know, I've been lucky enough to have it as my job since school and, and uh, it's been um, a great journey, and um, you know, still trying to do what I can to, to keep fit and, and, and um, keep up with the young guns. 
Yeah, incredible career. Uh, triathlon then stepping up to the Iron uh, Man, uh, you know, the more arduous sort of longer uh, event for the uninitiated. But I want to take you back to that first race. It's school by the sounds. Um, Grant's referred to it's a drug. Did you remember it vividly? And and were you were you hooked? Did did you get it quite a fix after that first race? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It was, you know, I was trying to um, get your head around three dis- disciplines. I'd always come from a sort of a team sport or um, tried a few individual sports, but uh, trying to combine the three individual sports of swimming, biking, and running is, is pretty difficult. And back then, you know, it was still relatively new. And, um, you know, what we know now, you know, so there's been a lot of uh, technological um, advances in, in aerodynamics and science and nutrition and. Uh, so all those things have helped and, and people, you know, just continue to get faster and faster and we just keep seeing that every year now. Um, you know, athletes aren't probably really that much better. It's just the uh, the bike has just got incredibly quick and, and yeah, the, the advances in aerodynamics on the bike has just um, made things even very, very fast. Did you throw all the other sports to the side from that time? Did you, did you start yeah, to specialise? Yep, straight away. Yep, yep. I sort of uh, you had to because it was uh, it was uh, pretty pretty hard to um, you know you, you were trying to do three sports at once and um, you know you, you cannot have really any other hobby besides uh, what you were doing with triathlon. So uh, it took up a lot of time. And, um, and then you know when you you're full time, it it's, it's a full time job. So you know forty hours a week of training and uh, and then you know trying to um, you know, look after your sponsorship as well. So, um, you know, probably 50-hour weeks um, every every week. So it was uh, very, very demanding. Uh, Cameron, tell us about Kona. Obviously, Kona is one of the more rigorous races in the world. If any sport. You're battling the elements. Um, how tough is it, one, training for Kona, but then actually the event itself? Yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling, really, until you actually... Get on the island and see what it's all about. The uh, the conditions are um, you know pretty horrendous. The, the course itself is beautiful and stunning and, and you know relatively easy really. But uh, when you put the humidity you know eighty ninety percent the the wind it can blow an absolute gale out there. Um, you know you've got the two massive volcanoes that the winds channel through and and um, yeah when it's sort of uh, forty degrees out on the lava fields then yep she's uh, pretty pretty hot and. Um, you can be there in your best conditions, but um, it can, uh, you know, just watching the women's races of the first year, that uh, the, the two races are being separated. We had the, the women's and uh, a few of the age group men racing yesterday, and then the um, professional men will uh, race on uh, Saturday or Sunday, um, and uh, and a lot of the age group men. So um, it's a different year this year with the two separated races, but, um, you know, they've gone from sort of when I first started. 1,500 to 2,000 athletes now to sort of nearly 5,000 athletes. So there's no way you can get 5,000 bikes on the pier where all the transition is hold, held. So uh, the separated races is um, yeah, it's sort of a must now. Well, logistically, huge changes as a result, just the sheer volumes of, of competitors. You, you've obviously you know, had podium finishes, two seconds, a couple of thirds if I'm not mistaken. But if we're talking about the nuts and bolts of the racing itself, how much has that sort of evolved? Uh, you think uh, for, from the the time you were competing and, and getting on podiums? Uh, yeah, I mean, if, you, if you look at time wise, you know, the, when I was first uh, racing, I think I did um, eight hours forty five in my first um, well podium there, second place, um, and 
you know, the woman yesterday went uh, eight hours and 34 minutes or 33 minutes. So, and the men, you know, are now what they were doing 20, 30 years ago, eight hours 20 to, to win, eight hours 30 are now going seven hours 50. So, as I said, the advancements in technology and wow. the bike, you know, they're going sort of 20 to 30 minutes quicker on the bike. The swimming and running has pretty much stayed the same and uh, athletes are pretty much running those same sort of times as what they were. But, you know, now instead of going, you know, four hours 30 on the bike, they're, they're going four hours and nine minutes is, I think, the record now. So quite incredible. Now, um, Cameron, obviously uh, back in the day, it sounds like it, the sport has advanced so much. Was there a chance that you could be poor at one discipline and good at two or good at one and poor at two and still get a, a decent placing and now you have to be good at all three? How has that progressed in terms of the, the disciplines? Yeah, I think you'll always have your athletes um, that will have their, you know, their, their best, um, well, Cam Worth, who rides for the uh, team Ineos, um, uh, he's a professional cyclist and uh, he held the, the course record of four hours and nine minutes on the bike there uh, three years ago. So he's he's racing again this year. He's, you know, he's been riding in all the great grand majors uh, of cycling this year. And but uh, you know, put it in perspective, you know, he still doesn't get off the bike first. You know, the, the, the last year, I mean, sorry, three years ago when he raced. When the last race was uh, held in Kona because of the, the pandemic, um, he um, he was still sort of five six minutes behind you know Andrew coming off the bike. So even though you're the world's best, uh, the, the triathletes uh, still still pretty good in, in their three disciplines. So uh, and you pretty much have to have no weaknesses. You know, it's, uh, you have a few minutes, but uh, those guys at the top are um, world class in, in all three disciplines of you know swimming, biking, running. How far out? Do you sort of tailor your training for it? Uh, of course, all all year round, you know, you, you're involved in sport, but specifically for targeting Kona, if you can explain to us, we'll never get anywhere near it and sort of watch with the shock and awe at, at what these uh, these individuals put their bodies through. How do you tailor um, a training regime to be ready? Yeah, I mean, and some athletes have the luxury of, you know, training a year in advance because they would have qualified early. You know, there's, um, yeah, 50 Ironman races around the world where you can qualify, and there's so many spots per age group in every race. New Zealand Ironman in, in March has um, well, uh, around about 50 to 60 slots, and then, you know, each age group, depending on how many athletes are in there, you know, will get, uh, there might be you know, a couple of spots in each age group, so it's very, very hard to qualify. So, uh, uh, and then, you know, some, the, the last um, sort of date that you can qualify is, I think, August of this year. So some athletes might not even know they're going to, to Kona until the last sort of two or three months. But, yeah, they'll, they'll be preparing and trying to get ready, their body ready for, for that race, hopefully, if they qualify. But, um, yeah, some, some, as I said, some athletes might have 12 months of notification and then others might have three months. So, but uh, most athletes, you know, they're in uh, pretty good shape uh, all year round. And, uh, you know, the Southern Hemisphere athletes, we pretty much do back-to-back season. You know, I've been doing back-to-back season since I was a 15-year-old. So, um, you know, you're always ready to race and uh, there's no excuses really. Yeah. So so you always feel like, you know, if they, they, they changed the date on you, you always felt like no matter what time of the year that you could you could get through it at a pretty high level. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, 
it's always you know the second uh, Saturday in October on Hawaii. I mean, it's you know it's October every single year. Uh, this year we've had two world championships because of the backlog and the pandemic. You yeah. know, being able to race the Hawaii for the last three years, you know, since 2019, so they actually had you know another world championships in uh, Utah this year, which Christian Blumfeld won, and uh, he's he's the favourite. Uh, the Norwegians, there's two of them. They're the favourites for uh, for you know tomorrow's race as well. So, uh, but you know, like the women's race yesterday, Chelsea Sodaro, who uh, only in a second Ironman uh, won the race. You know, she had the race of her life and beat all the favourites. And beat, you know, Daniela Reef, who uh, from Switzerland, who's won the race um, I think five times. So, uh, you know, you, you can't really you can be a rookie, but uh, if you have mm. the race of your life, then uh, you can come come out on top. That's for sure. Cameron, how have you maintained discipline? With your lifestyle over all these years to be to be ready to go all year around when you know your mates might be nipping off to a wedding one weekend boozy wedding lots of fun or you know off jet skiing i don't know what your mates do you do cameron you know how have you maintained that discipline what what is the what is your key you think uh yeah i think just a you know love and passion for the sport but you know, sometimes you you do have to um, make you know compromises and, and not do silly things. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I don't I don't go skiing. Uh, you you wouldn't go water skiing or snow skiing because the risk of um, injury is too severe, and you know you, you can be out for you know six to twelve months if you did something serious. So um, when you're you know it's, it's okay if you're just a uh, doing it for fun, but when you're a professional athlete, it's uh, all those little risks can weigh up, and and uh, so. Uh, yeah, those are the sacrifices you have to make, and um, sometimes it's hard. But uh, yeah, and um, yeah, trying to go go to bed early when you're uh, <laughs> others are out partying, you know, is never easy. But uh, yeah, you've just got to make <laughs> those sacrifices. Sacrifices if you yeah. want to be the world's best. A lot of text messages you don't reply to. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, Invite not after nine o'clock. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Cameron, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I only did it for, you know, probably uh, a decade. You've done it for 35 years. Um, with the sport, the, the impact on, on friends and family, it's it's quite a sacrifice. That must be quite tough um, while you're doing the sport. Yeah, definitely. You know, I was, I was away for uh, three months this year by myself, training and racing. So, um, you know, you get very, very homesick and you, you miss home, that's for sure. And uh, New Zealand will always, always be home. And, um, but, you know, being a, a Southern Hemisphere athlete, you, you've got to compete overseas. Um, you know, it's one of those sports that um, is very, very, you know, it's massive. In the, well, it's massive everywhere now. You can do a tri- triathlon or Ironman uh, pretty much on every continent and uh, any place. So, um, but yeah, you, you've got to make the sacrifice to go overseas if you want to be uh, top of your game. And uh, Europe or the States are the, the sort of the key destinations that you have to prepare. And and you can't, you know, really training through through. Uh, a New Zealand winter is, can be done, but it's very, very hard. And so you've got to, got to go to a warmer climate and conditions that um, you know will uh, advance and help your training. Cameron, for those listeners that don't uh, know about the race, it's a 3.8-kilometre swim, it's a 180-kilometre bike, and then it's a 42.2-kilometre run. So arguably, I mean, does it crown the world's fittest man and woman? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, uh, yeah. You know, you're swimming in um, 27, 28 degree water temperature. Uh, it's a beautiful swim. You know, you'll see turtles and dolphins oh. out there on race day. So it's 
that's the, probably the nicest part of the, uh, the day. But you see them. You see them. But you're actually aware yeah. of them. Yeah. You're aware of them when you're yeah. out there. That's awesome. Yeah, they're, they're, they've had um, pods of dolphins come through on race day and just training. You know, I've seen many, many times uh, during training uh, when I've been up there. You know, pods of dolphins will come through, uh, and then once you get on the bike, it's you know just straight through a lava field and set to uh, the island has uh, fourteen thousand uh, feet volcanoes that the winds tune through and uh, just incredibly. Um, you know, when the winds blow, it's uh, gale force and. Uh, the first one, or the second year I was up there, 2001, when I got second, you know, people were getting blown off their bikes. The, the, you were riding, you know, you had to lean into the wind. The winds were so severe. And uh, that's where, you know, the, the times and the race can differ every year because if the winds, when the winds blow at, at that rate, then, um, you know, the bike times can be, you know, 20 minutes slower. Um, and it's, yeah, it is a challenging bike uh, undulating the whole way. And then once you get off that bike onto the run, um, you have a section along a Leahy Drive, sort of uh, 16 kilometres, and then bang, you're out into the lava fields again and uh, out to a, a place called the Energy Lab where um, temperatures you know, get recorded at 40-plus degrees out there. And, wow. Uh, you, you have 10 kilometres back home after that, and uh, it's just survival, you know, watching the race yesterday. It's quite incredible. You know, you can be uh, feeling great at, at you know, uh, 10k to go, and then another k down the road. If if you've missed, you know, your nutrition at some point, then it'll come back and haunt you. Uh, so it's nutrition is the fourth discipline of the race, um, pacing as well. But uh, um, it's almost sort of a time trial out there. You know, athletes if they don't look after themselves, and, and um, you know, you, you've got to know your strengths and weaknesses. And if you go off at trying to follow some other athlete, then uh, you will pay for it. And uh, when you do pay for it in Hawaii, it uh, comes back and hits you twice as hard as any other race. You know, when the conditions are cooler and places like Galpo, then, you know, it, it's not so uh, difficult. But Hawaii is just absolutely sheer hell. Um, you know, lucky to race up there, I think, some 15 times and um, had some good good races and some great races. And then uh, a lot of, uh, yeah, <laughs> races that uh, you nearly ended up in hospital, you were. So severely uh, dehydrated and, and just absolutely everything taken out of you. Yeah, just the, the strain on your body. But what about mentally? When you're on those lava fields and it's forty plus degrees, do you, do you sense yourself going a little bit barking mad at times? You know, it actually keep, sort of keeping your head in the game. I, I, I'm just trying to get my head around. Sort of, you know. Do you dream of Wellington? <laughs> dream, yeah. dream of yeah. three degrees at that stage. I'd imagine the mental strain is just incredible. Yeah, I mean, when things are feeling good out there, then athletes, as I said, you know, when they you see the winners and, and you know, you get on an adrenaline high and, uh, you know, they, they just sort of, when when athletes win there, yeah, they just seem to get carried through the race. And when you're uh, suffering out there, then it's just absolute sheer pain for, you know, two, three, four hours. And uh, as I said, in Kona, you just absolutely fall apart and, um, you know, reading so many stories on you know, Instagram today about athletes racing yesterday, you know, so many of them just were in the best shape of their lives and, and um, but Kona is a, is a different beast and, you know, they were very, very humbled after it and uh, a lot of um, sacrifice to, you know, to get that fit but it's a, it's a different, totally. different race than any other race out there in the world. They got Koned, you might argue. They got Koned. Yep. Uh, I think I'm right when saying you're, you're the first 50-year-old male in the world to still be racing with a pro license. So what's next for Cameron Brown? You, how, how much longer have you got at that level, you think? 
or at the level uh, you've been oh, operating the last few years? Yeah, it's getting harder and harder. You know, my body just, you know, I've, I've uh, picked up another calf injury last week. Just, you know, I had five weeks off. Well, you know, I kept active and, and <coughs> tried to keep the body ticking over, but the injuries just keep coming. So, um, uh, you know, hopefully I'll be running in another week. But, uh, yeah, it just gets harder and harder and the body uh, just doesn't recover like it did when it was a 30-year-old. So um, I think, yeah, probably next year we'll be... Uh, yeah, it'll be uh, a little bit easier and, and probably uh, <laughs> maybe racing Kona as an age group, I think, maybe. Right. So what have you definitely got on the cards then, you know, as far as events? Uh, oh, you know, what... oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, Taupo 70.3 in, in December yeah. and uh, and then New Zealand season and, um, yep, hopefully uh, another um, uh, few races overseas for sure. 12 and counting. 12 and counting. Uh, beyond those ones, are there any other races or events that you, that you have on a, on a bucket list? Yeah, yeah. I, I did that this year. I went to Europe and uh, did probably one of the, the biggest races in the world, um, Challenge Roth, which uh, you know, has sort of two 200,000 um, spectators watching you. And it's just an iconic race in the world. It's quite incredible. And, and then um, after that, I did uh, the Alpe d'Huez Triathlon, which... Um, Probably, probably just like another Ironman. Really, it's not the same distances, but it's uh, you know you, you, the last uh, part of the race. You, you actually climb up Alpe d'Huez, which is a you know uh, eighteen hundred meter uh, altitude, uh, twenty kilometer climb, and um, and then I did another race, which is pretty much the hardest race in the world, which is uh, the Ember Man, which is a full Ironman distance, but you uh, have something like four thousand meters of vertical eleva- elevation in the race and. Um, Again, <laughs> wow! Uh, one of the Tour de one of the uh, Tour de France climbs, the Col de Isoire, which is a 25 kilometre climb as well. So uh, they were three bucket races. I was able to back off, and I won't be going back to them because they uh, they bloody hurt. So look, <laughs> <laughs> they tick that box. Never going back. Not interested. Yeah. Uh, Cameron, uh, last uh, lastly uh, from you. I mean, we can hear the passion in your voice about how much you love the sport um when you you step away as a professional you're still going to be involved in some capacity i mean i know that triathlons can go on uh a a little bit longer i think there's the 60 age group as well so um you know is it something that you're going to keep competing or coaching involved in what is it yeah yeah definitely i've just um i'll be coaching the st kent's um i'm the head coach of the st kent's um, school program for next year uh, so oh, I'll nice. start that job in, uh, in a week's time. And, uh, you know, yeah, there was a, a athlete um, that just lives near me, um, Warren Hill, who finished Hawaii yesterday, an 82-year-old, and um, he finished in, I think, 16 hours and 15 minutes, which is just an incredible, oh incredible time for, a, for an 82-year-old. And um, he, I think he crashed three years ago, so this was redemption for him to, to go back there and finish the race. And I think he's, he'll be watching his son um, compete on uh, tomorrow. Um, so it's quite funny, you know, as, as the, the father, you know, an 82-year-old finished the race, so pressure on the, the son, Paul, to, to um, buckle up and, and, and have a good race and finish. And, yeah, quite incredible, you know, some of the athletes that uh, get on the start line and finish this thing, it's uh, quite amazing. So I've yep, still got a lot of passion to get out there and train and race, and uh, I won't be giving up, that's for sure. Fair to say to those St. Kent boys listening right now, uh, your uh, advice to them, get ready to work. All right? Cameron, yeah, simple as that. that. Yep, you've, got to, 
you've got to have fun. I think that's why I've kept in the sport for so long. You know, you've got to enjoy it and uh, respect the the uh, what you do, and, and uh, but just have fun, and uh, you'll stay in it for a long, long time. It can be a, a lifelong sport. You've been warned, Saint Kent's. Load up on your electrolytes. <laughs> I think it's going to be a busy, busy summer. <laughs> Brilliant stuff, Cameron. Thank you so much for shedding some light on Kona. It's an extraordinary, um, you know, event shedding light on on your career. We we hope the calf clears up nicely and you're back competing at, at full tilt and you can tick those boxes you want to achieve before uh, you, you sort of move on. Even though I, I detect you're going to be involved uh, in in this sport probably all of your days. Thanks so much for joining us here on SCNZ. No worries. Hopefully, Thanks uh, a lot, Brandon Cameron. Curry and uh, Carl Smith can uh, uh, look forward to, you know, looking forward to them watching and, and, and racing tomorrow and, uh, and uh, flying the Kiwi flag for us. Yeah, well said. Thank you so much, Cameron. Appreciate your time. Cameron Brown no joining worries. us there, just 12-time winner of the New Zealand Ironman. Two runners-up and three or two third-place finishes at Kona. Um, and uh, as he rightly does point out, a couple of Kiwis we can keep a close eye on um, when the men's race goes tomorrow. I don't reckon he's wow. used to talking because he's normally too busy cycling, swimming, or running. I love that. Don't text him after nine. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably got that automated text that comes back. Cameron's busy at the moment. Yeah. You don't get the ticks, the two ticks, do no. you? If you're WhatsApping him, they're definitely no He's time. on a 180k ride. That or he's sleeping because he's, he's done, you know. Yeah. But I do want to give a big up to, um, well, he's my brother-in-law, but um, he's been on the show, a friend of SENZ, mm. so... To see success from the SENZ family is always great. Are we claiming this one? Uh, like Jonathan Trott, who became the Afghanistan yes. coach. Yes, head soon coach. after appearing Jeet on the show. Patel, who suddenly became the England you know, bowling coach. So great things <laughs> happen to people on the show. And Dr. Dan Plews, he's, uh, he's been coaching triathletes. So he coached the winner of the Women's Kona event, which was yesterday, Chelsea Sadaro, who was the first ever woman um, who's had a child. So mum. That's actually won it. So he's been coaching her for a while, and um, it's quite an achievement for not only Chelsea but also Dr. Dan Plews, uh, who is um, has won Kona Amateur himself as well. Wow, age group, yeah, impressive. I, I, I was, what were you most startled there? There's so many startling sort of little things in that chat with Cameron Brown and about the race itself. I didn't realise how aware they are of what you know. Oh, this turtle. Dolphins as I'm competing. Sounds like bliss. And yeah. then, you, then you get your shoes on and you it go is, for a little marathon. Or just 3.8k swim, yeah. Uh, I'd be trying to get hold of the dolphins and actually catch a lift. Three and a half. Heat doesn't scare me. I love heat. You Love do? it. Love no, heat. No, no, no. Give me heat no. any day of the week. cold any day of the week. Oh, so heat any day of the week. So that doesn't scare me. What does scare me is the winds. Like you get on your bike and you think, oh. Just gale start. force winds. Yeah, and you've got gale force. I mean, imagine battling against that. You have to find yourself behind someone who's a little bit hefty. But you're, but you're so, not going to find a You're so narrow. Person. You're like aerodynamic. Does the wind even affect you? You're like a oh, wind dude. tunnel. Yeah, bones. <laughs> <laughs> wind doesn't affect bones, does it? <laughs> we uh, thank Cameron Brown uh, for joining us uh, to look at uh, his career that still uh, rolls on. Um, and we do uh, we, we'll reiterate, uh, we hope he uh, gets fully fit. Um, you always want to, you know... Uh, go out the way uh, you truly want, and he deserves it. Incredible career, incredible career. It is uh, 21 minutes away from uh, 12 o'clock, back after this break. 16 away from 12 o'clock, big thanks again to Cameron Brown, legendary Ironman triathlete, for joining us for our Saturday Session Legend segment in association with Somerset. Think new friends, 
new laughs and a new home. Think Somerset Retirement Villages, somerset.co.nz. I'm, I, I was tired listening to Cameron. Tired, just thinking about all that training. All what the I cars, loved from the you is you said, how do you become so dedicated? You were thinking to yourself, like, how can I maybe get up and no, have a I, run no, every seriously, day? No, seriously, how do they? How has he got up every day to be... He basically said he felt comfortable running Kona at any stage if they changed the date because he's in that good a shape all year round. For 35 years? It's got to be an obsession. An obsession and a passion. Both. Passion, obsession, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's probably a good way of looking at a it, Grant. cocktail of obsession and passion. Yeah. Mm. You know, nicking off third ball every Saturday was enough for me. Obsession. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Grant. Uh, I gave you my uh, Workhorse of the Week nominations a little bit earlier. I went with Erling Haaland as far as Workhorse of the Week. That guy is frightening. I gave you some non-nominations too. This uh, segment, who has been doing the hard yards in sport during the week in association with Midas? Um, Midas Agritize, made in Europe and trusted by leading equipment manufacturers worldwide. European quality doesn't have to break the bank. Ask for Midas Agritize for your equipment. I want your nominations. Well, I'm going to go for non-nomination. Oh, you've got a non-nomination. Non-nomination first. Yep. Um, and you can probably see the photo on my uh, laptop computer. Oh, God. It's a photo of Joe Root, Kevin Peterson, Piers Morgan, and Michael Vaughan. And the problem was that um, Joe Root was... At St. Andrews, is it? On St. Andrews Golf Course. So they played a round of golf at St. Andrews. Yeah. And Root, was he's the epitome of Yorkshire cricket. Uh, he was grinning broadly alongside Michael Vaughan, Kevin Peterson, Piers Morgan, on a day that had reduced many White Rose loyalists, in other words, Yorkshire supporters, Oof. to dismay. The reason being is because they were fighting for relegation. So he was given time off by English cricket board um, and didn't turn up for Yorkshire, obviously, or chose to be rested because he's had a big summer of cricket. Oh, no. But what happened that obviously made the Yorkshire fans. Well, it attracted, the word is opprobrium, and social media was quick to condemn. Okay. Did, did they stave off relegation? No. Oh, dear. What I so they got relegated while he was playing golf yeah. with Piers Morgan, Michael Vaughan, and Kevin Peterson. Yeah. So um, I might be wrong on that, but I think that they uh, they got relegated. Okay. Well, well, that's right. why. If, if they hadn't got relegated, I don't think that would have been such a big... Show and dance about it. So okay. Don't is, quote is, me your, on that. is your workhorse of the week also going to be Joe Root for suffering the punishment of playing golf with Michael Vaughan, Kevin Peterson, and Piers Morgan? <laughs> that would be a long four hours. No. I know KP, you know, clipped on our Instagram feed. He's probably listening now. <laughs> G'day, mate. No, KP, he's, he's great. I played at Quetta. I'm being, the Quetta Gladiators. I'm being unfair. Deliberately so, great. <laughs> I'm my, playing the villain as you want me to. My workhorse of the week. Yes. I've already mentioned her, Chelsea Sodaro. Um, she was the surprise winner of the Ironman Kona uh, women's uh, event. And um, she's the 33-year-old mum to an 18-month-old. So it was the first time a mum actually won it. And when she won it, she said, my mind is a little bit blown right now. Uh, this is the culmination of things being right in my life and having perspective, which I think is really interesting. Um, I love talking about perspective. Um, this is freaking incredible. <laughs> I love that. The end of the right. finish line is my little 18-month-old. Um, Sorry, I, I laughed over that. Repeat that last sentence. It's a, this it's is freaking incredible, but the greatest gift at the end of the finish line is my little 18-month-old. How have you juggled that? Who's looked after your kid? I know. <laughs> Seriously, who's, who's raising, listen to Cameron Brown, it's like, how can you do both? She was cycling with the kid on, what? The, in the race, during Kona, <laughs> no. <laughs> 
You nearly had me there in training. If you stopped at training, I would have bought him. <laughs> I bought him a little snorkel and mask, and I, yeah. I, and I put him on my back as I went swimming. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't put it past triathlete. Yeah. Uh, that's a pretty good shout. So she finished in a time of 8 hours, 33 minutes, 46 seconds. The first mother to win Kona, um, 18 months after the birth of her child, the 33-year-old uh, American, um, the surprise winner of uh, Ironman Kona in Hawaii. And a big shout um, out to Dr. Dan Plews as the trainer. Uh, sh- do you do you do you smell a Grant Elliott challenge here? No, gee, there's no, no way. There's no way no, he would never turn up on a Saturday. Uh, I'm not so an no, endurance athlete. We're not going to do that. We're not. We're not going to afford. What about a half? Put, how's your steer? How's your steer um, racing training? I'm up for the steer racing because yeah. that's explosive. Anything explosive, explosive, I'm keen for. I'm endurance, not my game. No, don't throw me in an endurance sport. Fair enough. Uh, keep your nominations coming through for your workhorse of the week. Who's impressed you as far as sport? Who's done the hard yards out there? Uh, our segment here with uh, Midas uh, Agritires. We'll take a short break. It's 11 away from 12. Yes, I'm Daniel McCarty. He's Grant Elliott. I'm an independent. He's a Ford fan. It's seven, six, six, six minutes away from 12 o'clock. Uh, an unnamed texter writes, and help me out, Ben Francis. You all know I'm an ignorant fool when it comes to anything to do with uh, motorsport. Not to be offensive, full stop. Daniel, could you please take Grant to sit in a classic Tirana? I think he will like a Tirana. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I looked up a Tirana. Yeah? And a classic Tirana, it's like a real muscle car. It looks like um, something out of Pulp Fiction. Like something that they were driving when they were talking about McDonald's and how they always have... um, Mayonnaise with everything. What what make of car is it? Uh, it must be a. Will be a Holden. Holden. Right? It's a Holden. That's why he's saying Holden to Tirana, isn't he? That's why, because you're a Ford fan. It looks like this. So you can't drive that. You can't drive that. Sorry. Greenpeace. But plus, let's be fair. Harry Javelin. You should not be seen in a muscle car, right? Oh, so this is this is an interesting conversation, right? Because I was at work and. Yeah. Got we 45 talking, seconds. We're talking about the, the Hyundai, little Hyundai that I drove, and I said something about driving a ute. And then someone who we know in my oh, office went, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she went, you can't drive a ute. And I was like, why? Why can't I drive a ute? Am I, I not manly enough to drive a ute? And they were like, oh, I don't know if it suits you, Grant. Well, around the tight streets of Wellington, there's, there's lots of those oversized utes where people can't even keep it along the center line. I'm going to drive a yeah. ute. I'm going to prove if, them wrong. If you can't get your car... Left-hand side of the centre line, have a good long look at yourself, I say. I'm getting it. What are you overcompensating for? Is it a midlife crisis? I don't know. Might be. We'll talk some actual sport after this break. Uh, Grant's uh, verdict and thoughts, not only last night's game, but the T20 series ahead. Uh, New Zealand in action later tonight. Really interesting thoughts from Chris Wood. Michael Burgess, another great article the New Zealand here. We'll break that down too. Got him up dancing, that one. Peter Gabriel, yes. So no, that, I just had a feeling for that one. Better feeling. Sledgehammer. Beautiful. Beautiful song. Back on 12 o'clock. Happy afternoon, everyone. I hope you're enjoying your Saturday. Big day of sport. Uh, new beginnings was the theme at the top of the program, wasn't it? Women's World Cup is about to kick off in just a couple of hours' time. A, a rarity there. After 400 or nearly 500 days, the Breakers back home last night at Spark Arena winning. The Phoenix kicking off a new season tomorrow. Um, well, another Bathurst, another realm of, oh. you know, locking yourself in the garage. Craig Beard style. 
Don't phone me. Yeah, don't phone no me. No one talk. Another round of in APC playoffs are upon us. And let's not forget uh, another um, international cricket season has hit the shores of New Zealand. We saw the opening game last night of the T20 Tri-Series. We get Grant's thoughts on that. He uh, was part of the Spark uh, commentary team. Uh, it's, a, it's a big month ahead for Spark. Uh, I think they've got the, the Women's World Cup, of course, too. Uh, so plenty of activity going on. Um, you're right, Grant. You look like. Did you hurt your shoulder dancing just then? No, no, no. I've I've had a little bit of a bunged shoulder lately. Oh, I don't right. know what it is. Yeah. Look, carrying everyone at work. Old age. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah. You're I'm grimacing right. in was... serious pain. Yeah. Yeah, you'll be all right. Excellent. Uh, so new beginnings. Um, uh, the new season is upon us, right? Um, you talked about you, you weren't happy with the draw. You, you thought New Zealand should have opened the, the, the game. What about the game itself? Like, oh, arms are raised to this. Evans, have you got more to say on this? Why are we not playing New Zealand in the first game of the summer? We play Pakistan versus Bangladesh. Hardly any crowd. No one even knew the game was happening. What's happening with the marketing of cricket? Let's feed it out to the community, well, to the mar- kids. They've marketed game two and three. Yeah, uh, but... More heavily because New Zealand's involved. Yeah. What's the name of the trophy? Uh, it's the Bangla Wash Trophy. I actually thought that was a joke. Like when I, when I saw it at Spark Sport, because when I went to Bangladesh, we actually got Bangla Washed. That's what they were calling it. We got Bangla Washed. And the, the crowd would have signs saying Bangla Wash um, and Kiwi Wash. So I thought it was someone just having a little Mistake. joke. That's no, it. But it's a, it's a washing Company. detergent. There you go, washing yeah. detergent. Bangla right. Wash. The Bangla, the Bangla wash. wash Trophy. Yeah. Have you seen the Bangla Wash Trophy? What does it look like? Is it, is it a Fisher and Paykel? On, yeah. On, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fisher and Paykel on a bit of, I don't know, Remu? Yeah. <laughs> that would be yeah. good. Uh, Punamu, yeah. Fisher and Paykel. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Front loader or top loader? Which, which one is that? Always go front loaders. Yeah, front loaders much better. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Finally, we have something we agree upon. Well, listen, let's get let's get onto the cricket though, because <laughs> enough of the the Bangla wash. We've ben really Francis. given them a lot of Ben uh, Francis is very time. iffy. He's um, like, you so two are useless. No one's calling. That's why. Head to head T Twenty internationals. They played twenty five games. New Zealand's only won ten. Pakistan have won fifteen on New Zealand soil. Though New Zealand have won seven. Pakistan have won five. Pakistan are currently number three in the world, and you can see why after yesterday. They've got two batters at the top. They've got the most successful opening partnership with Rizwan and Babar Azam, who Rizwan is number one in the world, uh, currently ranked, and Babar Azam is number three in the world uh, ranking. And Rizwan was the star last night, making 78 off 50. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of um, talk from Pakistan fans, and, you know, we had Waka Yunus in the commentary box, and it was quite surprising to hear him say, oh, you know, we need to change our opening partnership. What? They're ranked one and three in the world, but not yeah. good enough. Well, Pakistan fans. They were 71 for one after 10, and they do bat quite slowly. Right. So what, what they're saying, and maybe rightfully so, I mean, when you look at uh, New Zealand currently with our opening partnerships or in our first six overs, our power play, um, our dot ball percentage is the second lowest. Um, uh, or Sorry, it's the second highest. So we face the most dot balls in our power play. So that's all right, but what is your strike rate? So you need to get going in the first six we're, overs. We're four sixes or dots. Yes. They're more conventional, old school. Yeah, they play yeah. proper cricket proper. shots. And you've got Sean Masood who came in through test cricket. He's probably more of a Devin Conway type player. So, so where's their power? Who, who are their Dane? 
That's the is question. Is that what they're lacking? That, they're that, lacking that. Like if Barbara Azam or Rizwan don't go through and go big, then they probably struggle. But also they only get average scores. They don't get 200s. So when England got 200, they chased it down in the first game of their seven-game series in Pakistan, but it was an anomaly. After that, any score over sort of 175, they struggle with. So, so they're a 160, 170, yes. or, or, you know, on a good day. But they've got a great bowling attack to back it up. So that's why they're number three in the world. You know, they've got the pace of Harris Ralph. Shane Charfridi, unfortunately, isn't here. So you throw him in the mix. Fortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got the spin of Nawaz. Um, you've got Shadab Khan, who has just gone second highest wicket taker in T20s for Pakistan now. And the magnificently named Shah Nawaz Dahani. Shanawaz Dahani. Oh, I love that name. I saw him, the Milk and Dahani. Uh, he was <laughs> unbelievable in the PSL. He, yeah. he was told to just simmer down his celebrations. Passionate what? about the game. And just bowls 140k back of a length and bumpers, uh, which will be handy in Australia. So leading into the World Cup in Australia, big boundaries, fast bouncy pitches. Uh, Hagley's the perfect place for these teams to, to get going. I haven't even mentioned Bangladesh. I don't think I need to. Shakib Halasan wasn't playing, but they're a bit of a shambles at the moment. They've played 28 players in 15 games. They've rotated four or five captains, so that probably tells you yeah, they, they how much they're They look a lost. They're lost at the moment. Yeah. And to try they and need a good wash, don't they? They, need a, they will get Bangla washed in the series, and unfortunately for them, um, it's tough leading into World Cup. They're, they're a bit nowhere. They need to find a little bit of consistency and that brings me to New Zealand. Yeah, you've got 60 seconds. What, what's the one big question you want answered? Daryl Mitchell is out. Lockie Ferguson has got a twinge. And Mitchell Satin is out with uh, um, paternity leave. So we're going into a World Cup where we're probably not going to play combinations. But just in case Daryl Mitchell doesn't play, it'll be interesting to see what our top five looks like. Because Daryl Mitchell, as I'm sure you will agree with me, has been pretty dynamic. Mm-hmm in all three formats for New Zealand. Like, he has had an absolute boomer of the last 18 months. So Yeah, we, we discussed the, the makeup of the all-rounders and the bowling lineup. We, we were pretty confident how the top five would look. Yeah. You, you, although you'd left Guptill out. You had Conway. Conway and Allen. But Allen, now, Williamson. Yeah. Now I think... Mitchell. Guptill does well in Aussie. So now what you do is does. maybe you go Allen and Guptill and then push... Conway down to four just so we can... Glenn Phillips might come into the mould. Daryl Mitchell doesn't... We don't use his bowling as much, so I don't think we miss anything there, but we'll miss his batting. He's um, he's pretty decent at either coming in three down for spit. Um, he's got the skills to do that as a test player, but then also a very good finisher. So you've got that dynamic sort of role at five, which I think is very important. And uh, it's not a not a sake of an audition for for the for the bowling lineup. You think it's more horses for courses once they're in Australia. I think they've got yeah. they've got a good balance there. Well, they do have a good balance, but you want to um, you want to actually have balance with roles, right? Um, yeah. So with Satan not being there, it will be interesting to see the roles that they use. David Dome out of the Wellington Phoenix. They kick off their A-League adventure with the men's team due tomorrow. The women's side kick off in November. Uh, welcome home to the Phoenix uh, for a full season. They got home for a taste of uh, home football right at the end of uh, the last campaign. But after a couple of years on the road, um, we uh, look forward to uh, seeing what awaits. We will have full commentary right here on SCNZ tomorrow. Our coverage will start at 2.30 in the afternoon. Uh, with uh, myself and David Chopa. We'll catch up with David Dome, uh, the general manager of the Wellington Phoenix after this. Brilliant. Are you, you're a fan of this choice? Quarter past 12. 
coming home. Not, not quite. I tell you, was this a World Cup or European Championship? European, European Championship, Championship, 1996. I was, yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, they played it again when I was over there in one of the years. And you would, have, um, you would have been a young rascal running around the streets of London. I was interviewed in the Vitality Blast T20, and they yeah. went, "Oh, Grant, I was captain." And they said, "Oh, Grant, you know what are you doing, batting or bowling?" And I told them, and then I said, "Oh, one more thing." And this was at the time where um, Chris Gale said, to, I can't remember, he said, don't blush, baby, don't blush, whatever. Oh, right. So it was quite um, a dodgy time. Yes. She reluctantly gave the mic back to me, and I went, it's coming home. <laughs> you've, you've always played to the crowd, Grant. You've always known your audience. You, you've no, Especially with me, we're about to talk A-League. David Dome for the Wellington Phoenix, general manager, ready to rock. And Dave... And do you know what he's pulled out? Domi will appreciate this. Welcome aboard, Domi. He's pulled out his phone and showed me photos of partying with Dwight York and, and Brian Charles Lara. My yeah, Lord. That, that's, Do- not, that's not bad, is it? <laughs> How's it going, Domi? <laughs> hey, hey, Jeff. Hey, Dan. I think the closest we right. got, I got was uh, we had Chris Gale at one of our after-match functions, what, just bowled into the uh, after-match and... And circulated around the crowd and, and chatted to everybody, and he was the, the nicest guy. The nicest guy. Yeah, he, he did like a night out. So does Dwight York, an all-time world partier, I understand. And, of course, is back in the A-League with MacArthur FC, was one of the biggest recruits at the start of the A-League uh, with Sydney FC. He led them to a title. It was a good night, was it, Grant? And, uh, it was a great night. Yeah. And um, uh, me and Dwight York were actually the last to leave. <laughs> of course uh, com- Compliments of Brian Laura's uh, driver, who gave us a lift home. Oh, but, <laughs> Of but, course, Brian. It's Brian Charles Lara. Thank Brian, you very much. Sir Brian Charles. Sir Brian Charles Lara. But, but and Brett, always Brett, has a drive. Brett Lee played for Wellington, and he said that um, when Dwight York was uh, arrived at the A League, he said the parties that they had in Sydney, he said, were unbelievable. Brilliant. So I don't know if that still is the case, David. But, uh, <laughs> not quite. Maybe, maybe. not I, quite. No, I, I don't think we have parties to the level of Dwight York. I think he's. I think he settled there. I don't know actually. I, I assume he settled <laughs> down a bit since those days. Now that he's got to be the uh, the very important position of head coach at MacArthur, I would suggest you'd have to lead by example, surely. Nothing good happens after 8pm in a managerial <laughs> role. In a managerial role, absolutely. David, is there a sense, do you feel like it's a bit of a party this season after the, the trials, the tribulations of the two previous years? Does it feel a little bit special that you're about to kick off a season at home? Yeah, I I think for us, it's it's the, the reward for the fans who, you know, for two and a half years haven't really been... We've come back, you know, once or twice a year. But for the fans to have a whole season... I mean, there's two things for me. Back home for a whole season in two and a half years and, of course, the start of the... Or the very first professional women's football game in New Zealand at yes. the end of November. Those are the two things that um, I'm really looking forward to. And it's going to be... Yeah, I can't wait. The game tomorrow afternoon, three o'clock, great time. Um, the pre-sales are excellent. Uh, the weather looks, look like, looks like it's going to be really great. You know, it's, can't wait. It's going to be so exciting. It's been well litigated. The last couple of years, financially, broken nose. Um, and, and I think it's fair to say, if we went into season three, it could have been terminal for the, for the club. Um, but I, I, I want to talk about the, about the football. Has there been an element of what-ifs over the last couple of years? What if we'd played at home? Because you've, you've had a couple of very good sides. You just missed out on the past one year. And, and last year, of course, what, you lost by a solitary goal to the eventual champions. Yeah, it certainly is for me, Daniel. I don't think that the, the Ufi's very good. He, does, he never looks back. He never says what if. He just cracks on and gets on to the new one. But 
if you look at that first season when uh, COVID rolled in, we were in third place. We ended up finishing third, which should have been a home semi. And, you know, you have 25,000, 30,000, you know, screaming Wellingtonians at Sky Stadium mm. for a home semi. We are pretty hard to beat. And, of course, we had to play that game away. We were on fire. We were roll, you know, we were, we were tearing through. We hadn't lost in, like, 10 games, or we had a pretty good streak anyway. You know, uh, Uli Devere was on fire. We were really owning the league. Uh, we were the form team. We were the form team going into the finals and then, of course, had to play all the games in the semis away. And you get knocked out. Um, the season after that, we missed out by one point. Um, there was only a couple of goals in it. And then uh, last season, we went out to the event. Like you say, we went out to the eventual winners 1-0 in the, in the finals. So, not very close. And if those, you know, if more of our games were played at home, would you picked up more points? I think we would have. But, you know, it is what it is. You just got to put that behind you and move on now. Hey David, I must say that with football, there's always a lot of talk about home and away games, and you know, home team always has the advantage. And it must have been really tough um, losing the fans during that time. But what are you doing? I have seen a number of sort of marketing initiatives. Obviously, the big um, billboards by the the airport, which have been fantastic, by the way. But the, to try and bring people back to the Phoenix and bring them closer to the team is that a huge focus at the moment on the fans? Yeah, it's something we're really conscious of, Jeff. I mean, unfortunately, we just haven't, last couple of years, we haven't had our community program with the players operable, for obvious reasons. And one of the things we're really focused on this year is getting the players back into the clubs and the communities and all that sort of stuff. Now, mm. um, because of their, their run and their, this is for the men's team, the women's team turned up in, in a couple of weeks, or next week, actually, and then they're away. But the men's team had a big preseason in Australia because of the Australia Cup and the decent run they had mm. there. So it actually took out a whole lot of days that would normally have been out in the schools and the clubs, which is good in that we've had a very strong preseason in Australia, which we tend not to have and why we start slow. So... No excuses this time, but no, absolutely. It, it is very much focused on, on the Wellington community and how we can get back out there and get people following up. We're, I've been really pleased by how the season memberships have rebounded back. We lost, obviously, a lot of our season membership base because yes. we're away for two and a half. It's, it's coming back. It's slowly coming. We're not at the levels of a couple of years ago. It's not even close, but you know, at least some of the people, some of the fans have come back and, and supported the club. Yeah, was it hard to put sort of... an a number on what is achievable with regards to season memberships with ticket sales. It's so odd being out of uh, an environment for a couple of years. You need to get back in front of the people as you've just sort of outlined. So, you know, has it been a nightmare planning a budget for this year? Yeah, difficult in that it's a new beast as well because uh, we now own the league with all the other clubs. It's no longer owned by Football Australia. It's now owned by the clubs. And there's new deals, uh, broadcast deals, certainly in Australia. So they're rebuilding the league over here. We're somewhat insulated from that because we've always had the ongoing relationship with Sky, which has been very strong. And, you know, we have, our, we have all the games broadcast. So, it, it, but it's very much, we have our own challenges in that we have to rebuild the club because we've been away for so long. So the budget was difficult to do. We had committed that we wanted to spend more on the team this year. Um, and um, uh, the board has, has, has come through with that. So it's a, it's an expensive team this year, um, but I think Ufi's done a terrific job in his recruitment again. I mean, he just gets it. He can just pick them, those, those, those foreign players, the five foreign players. And I think we've got some real stars there, and that all, you know, that all bodes well for potentially a very strong uh, season. And, of course, the fans coming back to support the team. Because no <laughs> in New Zealand, they love, a, they love a winning team, and they will get out to support a winning team. There's no doubt about it. That's great to hear about your squad, but uh, um, also... 
the fans. I mean, you've got an opportunity to ex- extend that fan base by the um, the introduction of the women's team. Obviously, last year, um, and then again this year, you probably got a better feel for it. But is that uh, that quite a give the the um, Phoenix a nice all round feeling at the moment? Trying to mix the men and women's teams. As I've always said we're not a proper football club until you have your women's the women's side of the business running mm. as well. You know, mm. it was a five year struggle to get it across the line and you know, the women's world cup, FIFA Women's World Cup really helped get you know, get the Australians to go, you know what? You know, Wellington Phoenix deserve to be there. Um you know, the business case was very strong, um and once we took over the league it sort of took away the uh, the Australian objections to it. So we got it across the line and now we've got to build on it. The first year I thought was very good, you know. Very, it took a long time for um, to everyone to to commit to it, and once we did, we were away. We had four, maybe six weeks to pull the team together. Very short pre-season, and then Gemma had them humming, um, and you know some good wins. I, that was not a bottom of the table team, and uh, we were very close to to a few more wins, which would have shot us at the table. So this year, with a few really good recruits that Nat's done, uh, and you know Betsy Hassett and Paige Satchel and. Uh, little Mickey Robertson who's come out of Wellington the first ever Wellington player to sign for the Phoenix women um, I think that's going to be a very competitive team and I think some people will be quite surprised by how well they go Now these touch points with the, with the football club and the community uh, you're branching out um, I'd like to dig a little bit deeper in, in one thing that's available on your own website people can go read it for, them, for themselves but, but just articulate to us that the thinking behind the football for all program is, as you really try to, to build a broader church I guess yeah, community is hugely important, especially to Lloyd Morrison, who kicked the whole thing off before he, he passed away, before the Phoenix really started, to be honest. He wanted to have a very strong um, community connection, and his, one of his trusts largely funds that. So it's sort of like a JV with Capital Football. And what we do, we've, it's been going about three or four years, and we've grown it over. We started with about 50 kids. It's now got 200 in it. And essentially what we do is we pay for people, for, for young kids, from recent refugee and um, low socioeconomic communities to play football. And it's more than just paying for their club subs or paying for their strip and their kits and, and providing them boots from New Balance. We do all of that. But we found in the first yeah. couple of years, it wasn't just the cost of it. It was actually the time for the parents to take them for training. So we employ local community coordinators, which are either from the club or from the communities. And they pick these kids up, take them to training, take them home again. Because often the parents are working awesome. you know, full-time jobs, you know, two of them working all the time. So we pick them up, take them to training, take them home, pick them up, take them to the, to the games and take them home, take them to the functions, make sure it's a very bad, it's all about inclusion so they're getting in, you know, indoctrinated into the, into the communities that they work in and that they live in. Uh, very, very successful. Last couple of years we've expanded it. So initially it was just 11 aside football, but it's now in futsal. It's now in um, coaching and refereeing courses. So we pay for kids to do that. We now pay for kids to do their, um, go to school camps, uh, score away trips with their football teams. Wherever there's a football connection and it's a kid that wouldn't otherwise be able to play football or some derivative of, we'll look at it and, and, we'll, and we'll look to see how we can fund it. And again, it's just about driving that, you know, the, um, the inclusion of these people into the local community. Because you remember a lot of them come from straight off uh, the boat from their, their countries or, the, or their plane. They have literally very nothing. They come with nothing. But what we all have as a football community is football. And these kids, where they come from Asia, where they come from Africa, um, South America, wherever they come from, they all love football. And it's a way that we can help build them into the, or, or bring them into the Wellington community. 
David, it's so refreshing to hear that because I think a, a lot of um, our mainstream sports in New Zealand here, they take their eye off the community game and the community. And I remember the Hurricanes, when they, they uh, lost contact with the community, came back and concentrated on that. They had a successful season, so not only for the players to realize that you know, football or cricket or rugby is not the most important thing in the world, but it's actually the fans. Um, does, is there also a benefit and a spin-off to that? Because am I right in saying that if someone comes through the Phoenix ranks and then goes on to play for a Premier League team, FIFA then will give you a percentage of their earnings back into to the Phoenix because they were a homegrown player? Uh, it's not FIFA. It's it's called. There's two. There's two streams. There's a training compensation, and then there's a solidarity. And the solidarity is paid for uh, is paid by the buying club to all of the clubs that that player played for junior. Uh, I think from age 13, 14 on upwards. And it, and the, and the, the the transfer fee then flows down to some of those lower clubs. Um, yeah. There was some money that that Wellington Phoenix paid to. Uh, Wellington United for Joe Bell when he made his last last transfer, right. uh, so it flowed down to Wellington United. And if they come through that club system and they get sold on, that there is a, a a proportion of that money goes back to the their producing clubs or their developing clubs. And then there's um, uh, training compensation, which is similar to that, but that's that's due to the professional clubs. Um, and then there's the, trans, the the transfer fee as well. So yes, there is there is certainly bits of that, but it's it's you know we. It, it's it's complex, and we have a like uh, yeah, it's very operation manager looks after all that. Yeah, and it's and often these things are all negotiated with between the clubs. But it's um no, it's it's good, and it's it was a move introduced by FIFA to stop it seems the English Premier League mm. clubs going into Africa and hoovering up all these players, and of course all the developing clubs never got anything for it. Ufuk is getting a lot of raps, and understandably so. Um, he's off contract in the season. How much urgency to keep him long term, or is he too big for the A League? Uh, you know, how, how are you reading that one, David? I think he's hugely talented. Hugely talented club. We we see our our coaches in the same way we see the players. They come through us. They they you know we develop. We get a win win situation. They do a great job with us, like Gemma did with um, the women's team last year, and then has gone off mm-hmm. to Wales to do a pro license, which is an amazing opportunity. A UEFA pro license is the best pro license in the world. And the fact oh, she can't turn that job yeah. No, no, no chance. And Ufi's the same. No, so we, we've, we've obviously we've been talking to Ufi for, for a few years. What his next step is? We've got some ideas that we'd like to explore with him, and he knows what those are. It requires a few things to come together. Whether those things do or not, don't know. But um, again, if Ufi goes on to a bigger club, you know that's that's a good thing. It's a good thing for us, and that we can show that coaches come to us and they go. If a better opportunity comes along then they can step up and go into, whether it's Asia or Europe or somewhere like that. But I think he's, there's no doubt he's a, he's a quality coach and he's done a lot of very, very positive things here at Wellington Phoenix. And if he goes, he will go with our blessing um, okay. and we will move on and, and we will have um, other coaches who can step up. I've got no doubt about that. Last uh, couple of minutes uh, from me here, David. Um, big turnover, like any football club, um, as far as uh, playing uh, uh, personnel is concerned. You've brought in some um, very, very uh, you know, experienced A-League players with uh, you know pedigree, with, with title-winning credentials. Costa Barbarousas returning again, Stephen Ugarkovic coming from Western Sydney. Uh, what, what about the three overseas imports? Um, firstly, you could help us all. How do we pronounce their names and what qualities do they bring? <laughs> So you've got the two number 10s, which is Jan Saf. Now, he's the Brazilian. 
Um, very good on the ball. Typical Brazilian. Very good on the ball. Technically good. He's been banging in goals in the preseason. He, he, he's going to be one of those sort of really exciting players. Then you've got Bojador Kreif, who is a, the Bulgarian. Again, he's a big, tall fella. Uh, again, good on the ball. Very technically very good. And he's, and he's very strong as well. Uh, and then you've got the, the latest one, which is our number nine, uh, Oscar Zawada, who's the Polish number nine. Bozidar, by the way, has played about 30 games for Bulgaria. You don't play 30 games for Bulgaria with it, you know, being a slouch. And then you've got Oscar Zawada up front, who is a big, tall, again, tall number nine. Ufi wanted a big, tall number nine. They've proven to be very, you know, useful in the A-League. If you look at number nines in the A-League, the ones that have been, tend to be successful are the big, tall ones. Or they can be targets, you know, you can get on the end of a cross. So those three players, very, very, you know, looking very exciting. You know, Scotty Wooden at the back gives us that bit of depth as well. He, and obviously he's been here for a few years now. So, no, it's really exciting in and in what he's pulled together. And you mentioned, I think, Steve Ugarkovic is, is sort of will be a, a quiet achiever and will surprise some people. I mean, very well respected in the A-League. When uh, yes, he yes. said to me, look, we're trying to sign Steve Ugarkovic, I said, mate, how are you going to get Steven Agarkovic? He, he could go to any club in the A-League, but he managed to do it. He sold, the, he sold him the dream, and Stevie's going to be here. And I think, <laughs> if, you know, in terms of a holding midfield player, he's he quality, probably one of the best ones I've ever had. Um, so, yeah, I think we're in a really, really good place. Um, can't wait for this game tomorrow against Adelaide to see how these guys click together as a unit. Um, I've only seen them, you know, a little bit in passing, but you know, Oscar's only been here, what, three, four weeks, something like that, and he's, you know, starting to find his feet. So... No, exciting. And like you say, Yad and you know, our Ben Wayne and, and Costa Barbarousas are exciting players and Ben Old who's, a, who's our New Zealand number ten and you know, the the boys out wide, you know, Kalinelli going forward. I mean these are it's an exciting team that actually does promise quite a lot. Well, David, do appreciate your time. You got anything else, Mr. Elliot? Oh, I'm just looking forward to the season. I'm really looking forward to watching the Phoenix at home. Um, I'm a big Phoenix fan. Uh, David knows I've been. I've actually been very fortunate. I had a good relationship with um, uh, Andrew Durante, so I got into the change room a few times. And um, I love the culture that they have. I love the passion that they have playing for the Phoenix. And you're doing a great job, David. I love the fact that you're going out to the community and spreading the game because more kids we have playing sport and any sport that is, I think uh, the better we're going to do as a society. Yeah, and I just hope the yellow fever are in good shape. I don't want to see their shirts off. And, you know, it's very cold in October. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I give that zero chance. I don't think the yellow fever are ever going to change. And God bless them, I hope they don't change. I, they're, they're the guys that make the difference. And that, 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 uh, that you know, he shirts off with 10 minutes to go when we're leaving. That's a, there's not too many traditions in the A-League that are better than that, to be fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot a of that, some of the clubs do the positive and all that kind of stuff. At least that, that's uniquely us. That ten, that shirt's off for ten minutes to go. So, yeah, do you, I, I love do it. you get I your shirt off in the, in the long room? I've never done it. No. <laughs> Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Tie there'd off. Be security in there. Shirt off. Yeah. Be, yeah. No. No. Not likely. Not in this lifetime. I've passed over. Never I'm not as fit as you anymore. Ah. <laughs> oh. Hey, we, do, we appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to, to following the progress of the team, bringing you commentary here on SNZ2. Um, good luck for the season. Go well. Thanks, David. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Our coverage tomorrow afternoon starts at 2.30. Our, uh, well, the game kicks off at 3. Uh, we will have uh, all Wellington Phoenix home games right here on SENZ. Hope you enjoy our coverage. Uh, we'll take a short break, and then we'll head off uh, to some racing. I do believe race number four at Matter Matter. Stay with us. Number one, Chell, a definite winner in that one, and a photo for second and third. So uh, good uh, luck out there. It was um, quite a finish, but the number one uh, 
it, doing it easy, Clado. Doing it oh, easy. Pull the reins. Too easy. The one Clado. I think Tiaka another trifecta, isn't it? They've gone close. Call it Clado. You're the expert. Uh, roll it on. Roll it on. And. Rock and roll it, rock yeah, and roll it. Yeah, I reckon inside will run third. So yeah, another trifecta for Tiakau after a first four in the first. Well, does that make it one fourteen four for that one anyway? That's um, unofficial. Hello, Clayton. <laughs> it's good to see you, my friend. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Great having you on board this morning. How's it going, Clayton? Do you get excited for uh, every Saturday where you get to call these races? And I, I really them? do. I well, honestly it, it, do. My whole life, every Saturday is like grand final day. Oh. It's like Bathurst every week. It is. Six hours. But Lock more the doors. No one's allowed in the studio. No one, no, no one's allowed in the studio. The phones are off. Are you Holden or Ford, Clado? Uh, Ford. Oh, nice. Same as me. Ford Focus. Did you drive a Ford Focus as well? Uh, yes. I'm a big <laughs> meaty XR6, mate, for me, you know. Get that mess of framing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are a big unit. Anyway, should we talk about racing? What have you guys got lined up for us today? Well, we've got the uh, meeting that was transferred from Hastings last week. We've got the two feature races, the Group 1 Arrowfield Stud and the Group 2 Hawks Bay Guineas. So we run at Matamata today, 12 race cards. So those races coming to us, the Group 1 at around a quarter to four this afternoon. And Tiakau hold the winning hand there with Imperatrice. She's $1.85, but look, don't give up on La Creek. I think she's a massive chance, and she's drifting in the market. She's out to $3.20, and everybody seems to be riding off Mustang Valley because the track isn't wet enough. I think the track may be wet enough for her to sneak a place, but, yeah, I'm looking for La Creek and Imperatrice to go head-to-head in the Arrowfield stud plate. That's at uh, 26, 26 minutes to four. Right, so you're about two two months into your marriage with Herman. What have you ejected him from the studio yet? Is he, is he still can you, on board? Can I'll you see him in here? Can you see him in here? No, I can't. Can you hear him? Where is he? Can you hear him? Where is he? <laughs> yeah, well, I, can't, I, I can't hear high pitched squeaking. So well, look, no. um, it's sixteen minutes to one, and he hasn't appeared yet. So I might have to have a word to him. Um, you know, I know Grant's pretty unprofessional oh. in that respect, but you know, <laughs> where else do we go? What? <laughs> well, actually, Clado, actually, 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 uh, I'm meant to start at eleven. No, don't, 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 don't. <laughs> quarter past don't. nine. Quarter past nine, I get here, Clado. Today? In preparation. Quarter two. Yeah. 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 So yeah what I, I, what was I, I told? Five hours of radio, five hours of prep. Exactly. But, that's what I was told. I suppose ex-professional cricketers, that rule doesn't apply. He's a bit prickly on that subject, Clado. Oh, is he? Uh, oh, beauty. Anyway, I'll bring no, it that's up. all right. Yeah, well, it no, sounds you, like gentlemen. you're really well prepared I, for your show, Clayto. So, Herman Watt is letting down the side, but I see someone next to you. I can't make out who it is. You've actually got someone alongside, at least. There is one of you there, right? Is there someone? Oh, look, yeah. Group one is the goat with the gavel. Steve Davis joining us today, so we don't need oh. Louis if we got Steve. That's absolutely what a magnificent duo coming up after one o'clock <laughs> here on SENZ. All right, fellas. Good luck. Hope it goes well. Thanks, guys. Uh, we'll come back. Thank you very much, Clado. Um, it's nice that someone appreciates uh, what we do here. Uh, it's quarter to one. We will take a break and come back with the sporting punts. You should probably run a mile from. Ten minutes away from one o'clock, uh, almost at the time we give you the sporting tips. You should probably run a mile from. Uh, we won't run a mile from this topic. Last week, Grant, um, I, I expressed my pretty clear frustration with uh, New Zealand football off the back of you know really strong crowds at Eden Park. Not only really? the team, I was a bit frustrated with the performances against Australia, mm. but then the. 
Michael Burgess New Zealand Herald with a great story about uh, you know friction between players and board. New Zealand, some senior players at the All Whites writing to the board about we need more games. New Zealand board writing back to shutting the conversation down. Still no games for November and March next year. Michael Burgess is at it again. Burge doing great work. Um, really interesting story on the Herald today about uh, Chris Wood almost retiring from international football. I know you read the article. I did read the article, and I quite liked uh, the way he responded and the way he spoke. And all it was is players saying, hey, we want to play more football. Do you think he was really re- willing to retire? Or was this a big shot across the bow of New Zealand football? I think he's fi- firing a shot on behalf of the team because the team have written to the board, and then they got a little bit of a, oh, not right now, thanks. We don't really want to play any games. Um, and I think the frustration from the players is that they're, there wasn't actually a discussion of let's make it work. You know, if costs is the issue, mm. let's try and make it work because they, they were approached by 50 teams, they reckon, or top some of the top 50 well, teams. Well, it's very one-sided, the argument at the moment. It the is. other side's not willing to really discuss. It's almost like the bean counters are going, no, we're not playing, but the players are going, we just want games. We're passionate about playing for our country. Yeah, the response we got, and this is the, the sentence that really sticks out for me, um, and this is a direct quote from him, the response we got... There was a lack of empathy to it. It made us feel like assets, not people, not human beings, not someone they can come and talk to and understand. I hope New Zealand football, you're listening loud and clear because mm. I tell you what, the, uh, the the feedback from the public if he walked away would be um, strident and straight to the point. And I hope it doesn't come to that. We just want to see them play. Yeah, and you want... I know you've got to fund a game, I, I understand, but the flagship side has got to play. Surely packing a stadium out at Eden Park well, they would have you know, surely made some money last week, and I know that wasn't in their accounting prior because you can't bank on. But anyway, right tips. Tips. Well, I've got, I've got a, I've got a winner. Here. Ben Francis is starting this week. Okay. I, I, I am sick of him coming in making pithy comments about our bad punts. Yeah, that's a good. And call. making money off our rubbish punts. And now we've got him on the spot. He's done no prep. He's done no prep. I bet he's cut corners. Going. I'll just do the opposite to what Grant does. Yeah. Or I'll do the opposite to Daniel. Which, you know what, has worked well for him, to yeah. his credit. It has worked well the for winning him. Winning recipe, but we've figured you out. But this is an autocracy. Unlike the pa- Parramatta Eels, who you guys talked me into betting on last yeah. week. i never trust you two again. <laughs> You're actually incorrect, because I actually do have a tip this week. Thank you very much. Yes. What is it? To, what is it today, Mr. Francis? The tips you should run a, late, a mile from, ladies and gentlemen. I don't. I don't. Don't think you should run a mile from this one, though. So I'm tipping. Uh, it's a football club I follow, but uh, Bradford City paying two dollars. Come on, Bradford. Paying two dollars fifty to win their game. The seven games un- unbeaten under the amazing Mark Hughes uh, in good old League Two, and they're playing uh, Stockport, who are near the bottom. So I think they'll continue that winning run. So get on that two dollars fifty. Nice. Ooh. Yeah. Well done. Um, Shall I go? Yeah, Second? well, for some reason I can't find... Well, I, I, I think I've got a real winner here. Um, we know that Kane Williamson has struggled somewhat uh, just with an injury and coming back into the team. Um, he returned in the side to the three-match tour of West Indies. He played in his first games at T20 since the IPL and his first international game since the T20 World Cup final. But um, he's come from low, slow pitches. His odds were boosted today from $4.33 to be New Zealand run scorer. They boosted up to $5. So I reckon just knowing Kane, he loves the pitches in New Zealand. It's a nice batting pitch, this pitch. And I think he's going to be hungry for runs today. Okay. 
So one's going with his love, Bradford City. You're, you're going your specialty mastermind topic, cricket. Mm. Um, I'm going to go for the wildcard event. Oh, I like that. The Bathurst. It goes for hours. It's raining. You don't know if your co-driver's any good. This is harder to pick than a broken nose, isn't it? This is really difficult. I think Van Gisbergen and Tanda, um, $4 are, are the bookies' favourites. And what is a Moffat? Four fifty. I stood in Coulthard, I, I think about five fifty, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but is there a harder event to predict than Bathurst? Um, I, I, don't, I don't think there are many off the top of my head. Uh, that's why I'm picking Barbara's arm to be the top run scorer for Pakistan, <laughs> paying $3.60. There's no way I'm touching Bathurst. I know nothing about motorsport. I'm not going to let you guys um, you know, talk me into that. Good luck um, with, with your punts if you are going down there, <laughs> Bathurst fast. But Barbara's arm or Rizwan, one of those two. That's why their odds are 360 and 280, I think. What they, a- they, are, they are magic men. Barbara's arm I love. I'm going Barbara's arm, $3.60, top run scorer of Pakistan. What I will say... My observation as commentator yesterday, Barbara's um, slipped three times. He complained about a sore hand. He looked cold. He looked miserable. He got 22 or 32 balls. And I think he looked ready to just take a game off tonight. So I don't know if he'll be playing tonight. <laughs> He's going to be a scratch. I might. I think like he might be a scratch. scratch Barbara's arm. Yeah. Don't do it to me. You're not, you're not talking me out of this, Barbara's arm. <laughs> Uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, everyone who's participated. Have a great week. We'll catch you tomorrow. All right, Thanks. Will. Thanks to the brilliant Ben Francis. Thanks to all the listeners. Love it.